Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. Hey, Mr. Perfect. I heard you're asking questions of the other wrestlers. Hey, who is this guy, Narcissus? What do you know about him? Is he truly beyond perfect? Is it possible for anyone to have those qualities superior to mine? <laughs> well, let me answer your questions, Mr. Perfect. Comparing you to Narcissus would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Now, I know horse manure has its place in this world. Even perfect horse manure. But perfect, there is only room in this world for one human being that is truly anatomically perfect, that is physically and mentally superior beyond imagination. Why, Ric Flair and I both agree that Michelangelo could not capture on canvas the stupendous qualities of Narcissus. He could not sculpt from marble the metamorphic qualities of Narcissus. Why, Narcissus is so beyond perfect, it's like he's from another galaxy. So, Mr. Perfect, when you see me unveil Narcissus at the Royal Rumble, you are going to think, if you can, that Narcissus is from another world. Hello everyone, welcome to Scott and Paul's Ramblin' Podcast. Yo, Scott out here joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Paul Brown. Hi Scott, Hello. hi people. Hello Paul. And we are here for another edition of our From the Vault series. I always like these shows when we get to look back on a classic. We usually, our kind of forte has seemingly become through this in your gaff, like the new gen kind of era. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen more of the new gen era through... Like this show than I would have otherwise probably. Yeah, have you have you found it? Um, I know you have found a large part of it rather lacking in quality and such, but you must have found a bit of, a few gems in the rough, you know. Yeah, there was a lot more gems than like some, a lot more than some, you would have expected. Anyway. Some fans may have you believe, but it doesn't help the like as I mentioned on our underrated new gen show. Obviously, so many documentaries that we like to make with the attitude, and so to emphasise how good the attitude was. They have to accentuate the negatives of the new gen era. Yeah. Which, but what all the while, the positives are just being pushed further down. They give it a few years, W, you're going to run out of documentaries, then they're going to start going off it. Oh, the new generation there was yeah. so great. Yeah, yeah, eventually. <laughs> and then, no, well, we'll probably go to the Ruthless era next. Well, they are they're already doing it. They've done two series of that. And there's some actually, I haven't seen all of them. There looks like some good stuff like. There's episodes on like the, the elimination chamber and money in the bank and that. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I'm current. I'm currently flirting in between like on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I'm flirting in between listening to uh, uh, fucking Jim Cornette yeah. stuff and the Grilling Jr. stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll tell you something. I know there's a lot of people that have negatives to say about Jim Cornette, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you something. The guy knows his shit. Yeah. The guy knows his stuff, and he's he's quite right with a lot of his opinions. I think. It's weird for you, Tim Cornette, sometimes because when you actually hear him talk about political stuff, he's weird, weirdly more like in the past, he's, he seemed to be more leaning towards the left than you'd expect from a man of his background. Very true. Like, you think the guy's so progressive in his views about other things, but then there are times where his wrestling opinions can seem yeah. so far backwards. Well, I was listening to one today when he's talking about the unfortunate situation with Miss Stitch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a, the unfortunate oh, situation with Miss Stitch and. I didn't realise, uh, including this last serious mm -hmm. one, she's had 17 DUIs. Yes. 
you'd think you'd learn a lesson before you got to that number. Mm. You know, I, I was actually watching a whole like video. I think on Caught Up, they put together. They've been doing this like wrestling true crime series on there. Yeah, and they did the one all about Tammy Finch and like by the end of the video, it's almost getting repetitive with the charges that she gets. Yeah, yeah. But like they even say that there was a period in like the late two thousands and even up to her her Hall of Fame induction in twenty eleven, I believe it was, where she looked clean. And I remember watching her Hall of Fame induction speech, and she looks really healthy yeah, there. Yeah, she does look really good. A little a little heavier than she did, but yeah. healthy heavy, you know? Well, then I remember I, I kind of tuned out with Sandy, and then I see her like 2015, 2016, and I'm like, you look like you've aged 10 years and just half that thing. What happened? And I think, again, what from what I heard from that video, that there was like a big like relapse in that stage. And like, obviously, she'd seemed to like, like obviously it'd been hard on her in the mid-2000s with Chris Candido's sad passing. True, and but that, I, I had heard she didn't, she didn't really treat that man very mm. well. Yeah, mm. even like members of Chris's own family apparently came afterwards and talked about how how badly she treated the man. Yeah, and the that she always had a high opinion of herself and things like that. This is a very somber start to this show, isn't it? Very, but it's always good to get the somber out of the way so we can bring it up later. Yeah, you know. But he was he was saying in regards to Miss Sunny, he was saying um, like despite the way people mm-hmm. thought of her backstage and how she was a bit of a cunt and had yeah. this high opinion of herself, mm-hmm. she was never that way with him. I would never just, ever that way I with him. I always see him in interviews. He said like he always preferred her to Sable because he said like they were both cunts, but Sonny was upfront about the fact that she was a cunt, whereas Sable was a just, bitch, which is a straight up cunt, and who thought she was. I think because of how she was treated was made to think that she was bigger than she was. I think Sonny held a lot of resentment for her because it felt like. She was taking her spot and uh, as as Jim Cornette said, she was nothing more than a pair of pneumatic tits. Like Sonny said in an interview, like everybody thinks though she was the first woman to be offered to do Playboy in the Dove. Like, no, she only did it because I, I was offered it first and turned it down. Mm. Which is surprising to hear about coming yeah, down. But no, t- he he said she like in regards to her attitude in the early days, like before she was in the WWF. Yeah. He worked with her for two years and she was always on time. She never mm. fucked up, she always done things right. You know, she was very professional. Yeah. It was only when she got to the WWF and her brain got inflated mm. that she became a cunt. Yeah. I mean, apparently, like, in two years before, like, when he worked with her, she was still a bit of a, bit of a diva, mm-hmm. but she was a professional. Yeah. You know, she was a cunt, but she was a professional and timely cunt. Yes. Yeah, you're like, you're a cunt, but at least you're on time. Yeah, at and least you're a professional. And move to a slightly somber talk to remind you of the fact that he said they're no longer with us, but that's the reason we're doing this show. Is that I always thought we were going to do this show eventually, but we've moved it up a bit because of the unfortunate passing of Scott Hall. The unfortunate passing of the bad guy, a man who could wear pastels, and you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't fuck with him anyway. No, no, we, you wouldn't sell him to his face that you thought he looked stupid otherwise. I didn't think he looked stupid. I just thought he looked colourful. If he did, you wouldn't tell him because yeah. he'd kick fuck out of you. Yeah, he would. He would. Mm. And he would have legitimately kicked fuck out of you too. Yeah. Like remember when that guy tried to get in the ring during the NWO's like debut promo. He and Nash immediately start kicking the shit yeah. out of the guy. Oh my! If you're talking about guys getting in the ring, my my favorite is still the one I've seen where the guy tried to get in and hit Stone Cold and Triple H just leaps fucking up. leaps up, tosses a guy in and beats the fuck out of him. Mm-hmm. And then the referee gets in and starts booting the guy in the skull. Mm-hmm. I think wrestlers there are some wrestlers who secretly enjoy when a fan tries to get in the ring because it gives them excuse so they know they're within their rights at that point to kick fuck out of them. Like, 
You cross the barrier, so you brought this on yourself. It's, it's an unwritten rule. The minute you cross the, the minute you cross into our territory, you die. Mm-hmm. That, I remember in our sense that there was that guy who tried to jump over you quickly, like apprehended by security, but like that in the ring at that point was like Ahmed Johnson, Vader, Sid, <laughs> the Bulldog. People like that. Even Sean in that. And Sid, who is a legit psychopath that stabbed somebody. Uh-huh. You know, you know, you know, you you wonder if Lee stands have any sense. Like, oh, we've only hurt me. I'm a fan. No, they'll, they'll hurt you because the minute you step over that rope, we've got legitimate reason to hurt you. Because they're like, what made you think this was the right time to to try and jump yeah. over the railing? Jump into a ring. I mean, even if you jumped into a ring over somebody like Santino or Eugene, mm-hmm. we'd still kick the fuck out of you. Yeah, those guys, like, I've done, went on to do wrestling training in, in the years since, so... Eugene or fucking Santino can yeah. stretch it, fuck. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't know this for sure, <laughs> I know Jim Cornette worked a lot with uh, Nick Dinsmore, Eugene, and like OVW before he... Before he was got, Eugene. Multiple time OVW gym, but I'm pretty sure he's even got some like, amateur wrestling background, so he'll yeah. get you the mat, he'll kick fuck out of you. Yeah, yeah. A lot, I mean, a lot of wrestlers that have got tenured, even wrestlers that unfo- have unfortunate <laughs> character changes or yeah. choices, a lot of these guys... You're only, you're only, you know, privy to the knowledge that these guys could legitimately hurt you if you fucked with them. Because, mm-hmm. like, people, so many guys have worked behind the scenes and been, like, influential, like, after they've done the rest of, like, people like Eugene or that, or Jamie Noble. You wouldn't look at Jamie Noble's running his career champion and think how much he knows about wrestling. Yeah. But in fact, he spent all these years as a, as a producer and one of the more successful producers back then. True. Hurricane as well. No, Gregory Helms. Mm. So, like, you can't really judge people based on their character, just how tough they might actually be if you tried to mess with them in real life. You got in the ring. What's up with that? <laughs> but I've, I've been looking forward to this show because, you know, I think we're officially, it's properly starting the new generation, even though it's not technically branded yet, but Hogan's not been seen since WrestleMania 8. Hooray! <laughs> Uh, oh no, he'll be seen at WrestleMania 9. But we're not going to talk about WrestleMania. No, we're not going to talk about that or his black eye. There are two shows I've, I'm pretty much going to try. I'm not saying one never reviewed them, but if I can put them off as long as possible, I will do. One of them is Survivor Series 97, because nothing I can say about the screwjob will add on to the thousands of opinions. And I, you, you probably can't stand me glorifying Sean. And plus, and the other one is WrestleMania 9. Well, I mean, I talked about the one good match from that show. In our wh- which one is your one good match from that show? The match between the Headstringers and the Steiners. That's the one good match on that show, in my humble opinion. Do you not like the match between... Uh, is it Crush and Sean? No, or per- is it Perfect and Sean? No, Sean fights Tatanka. Sean fights... I thought that match was alright. Yeah, uh, but I you know... Count out at WrestleMania, the opener of WrestleMania yeah. ending on a count out. I, I did think it odd that for that one and only time, I think it was one and only time which Sean's manager was Lena over Sean. Yeah, cause that's because Sean didn't want Lena to be his manager, mm-hmm. but they still wanted him to have somebody in his corner to pay Luna not. I don't know if Luna's Sherry not being his manager yeah. anymore, which is where Sean eventually brings in Big Kevin Nash before King of the Ring. Yeah. Yeah. Think- but no, a great match. And. We get we get to talk about Sean uh, in this one too. Like Sean was it said even by like midnight, he was already starting to become a little bit unpopular backstage, and that's partly why he chose Kevin Nash. He thought not only can he be my bodyguard and on TV, but he can basically watch my back in real life as well. Yeah. Hope that no more messing with a big seven footer Kevin Nash walking by. Yeah. 
And to be fair, not a bad panel anyway. Yeah, anyway, I've got my hornels going to taste uh. something. <laughs> uh. Uh, so yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, something interesting we should talk about before we get into the show itself. This is on the 24th of January 1980. This is only just two weeks after the very first episode of Raw has officially aired. Is that right? It's a new year, January 11th, 1993 from the uh, Manhattan Centre in New York City. Yeah. Would be their home for a majority of the first year, at least, of Raw. Now, apparently, the first episode was live. I think they taped, uh, and they started taping a couple of episodes after. So they do one live episode, one taped episode. Yeah. The episode that goes out after the Warrior Rumble, which I'll talk about later, and once the full paper has been discussed, was taped before... Before the Rumble. Rumble. So, yeah, I think they actually did that a lot during the new gen where the, the Raw after one of the big pay-per-views, and they only did five of them. At this period, yeah. we take beforehand, so it wouldn't be like today where you top all oh, big pay per view fallout from the the pay per view the night before, and it'd be no like here's a bunch of squash matches we taped a week ago. Yeah, well, what I mean, what were your standard pay per views of that era? You had Rumble, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, and this year, and this year is where we get King of the Ring added yeah, to the calendar. King of the Ring was the first, That was the first year it was a televised event, wasn't it? Yeah, that would be the first. It would become the big five, and they keep the five, but then over time, like by '95, they start adding the monthly. Who's yeah. up, but these five are always the the ones they put the most investment in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for a time period, we did seem to. We did mm. seem to for a small period. I think maybe of a time period, maybe three or four of them put a good bit of production and money into in your houses. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you know, it, it started out kind of slow, mm-hmm. got really big, and then got kind of amalgamated near the end. I think actually, closer they got to the end of the nineties. King of the Ring just faded in with all the other BB reviews and it, and it went back to just being the big four that they cared about. Yeah, yeah. But so when you look at uh, how little emphasis that, like, look at the 98 and 99 King of the Rings, you can tell me who won the King of the Rings, but when you watch the show themselves, the the paper, the tournaments themselves are afterthoughts. To yeah. The big stories. Yeah, I think it mattered, like, see, from about, say, 93. 93 through to about 96. 96, 97, yeah. they really cared about the King of the Ring, but after 97 onwards, it started yeah. to... Yeah. You know? Because by that point, they were putting emphasis on your in your houses, like your bad blood in your house and your ground zero. And it was weird, weird, The whole time there was a televised review, the first one they do, we were already reading our back, like Brett wins, right? Yeah. The entire time it's a televised event, only one of the baby face ends up winning, and that's not till 2001, where Edge, Edge yeah, wins yeah. it. So, like... After that, they basically just made, like, this is the annual pay-per-view where, well, we're going to try and elevate a new heel, like, Owen in 84, Mabel in 95, Austin in 96, even though he turns face to Yeah. Triple H. Oh, actually, I'll tell a lie, another face, Ken Shamrock was a face in the, when he won it, but he would turn heel later in the year to join the corporation. Yeah, yeah. But well, that, would, that would lead him to one of his only other titles. Yeah. Because he didn't he win the tag belt with Bossman? Yeah, because like Bossman was a was a hardcore champion. So yeah, between the two of them, they had like four belts. Like, yeah, we had the, the mid card. T- we had the mid the mid card trifecta. You know yeah, I mean? only other team I think that's done that really, other than maybe like the two man power trip, had like the world title is like Owen and Bulldog because like yeah. they had the tag belts. Davy was European champion, and then Owen wins the IC belt. Yeah, he yeah. had all the gold. So the Hart Foundation had almost every belt except the main belt, and that was just between two of the five members. Yeah, and do you know it looks like? Um, and I might be speaking mm. out of turn here, but yeah. I'm, I don't know. I don't believe I'm wrong. Yeah, I believe that might be happening with the Bloodline. Yeah, because yep. they have the mm-hmm. the red one, mm-hmm. the blue one, <laughs> and now Lewis so they're going to have the red ones. And the blue ones. 
And do you know it wouldn't fucking surprise me mm-hmm. if I were if Jimmy and Jay end up getting the IC <laughs> and the fucking yeah. US. I mean, I think I think what Vince might have in his mind to have every bit of gold yeah, on the bloodline. So like some people have been sorry, people that getting called up uh, and he starts to be kind of an NXT where it doesn't matter how long you've been there. Like if they want to call you up, they'll do it. Yeah, and they've got the have got a younger brother down in NXT right now who looks very lot a lot like them and he's. Quite cool. I don't know how long he's been wrestling. He's, he's named Sola Sokoa. Sola Sokoa. Like, he recently had a shot that they're eighties like North American belt, and he lost. But I'm surprised they haven't tried to call him up early to try and send him after one of the mid card belts. You know. Mm. Oh, when Naomi's done with her tag win, I wouldn't be surprised if they get her in because she's married to one of the Usos and say, "Okay, I'm going to try and run the Raw Women's belt, the Blue Women's belt, is, and the Red Women's belt." Is Hekalayo related to anyone? No, or is different he just different family. Separate, different family. Different family. It's just see because it's hard to hard to. It's just because I know our family is such a big family. You know, what I mean, they look at looking like a the Von Erichs with the cuffs. They, they are a big family, <laughs> both in size and in individual sizes. We'll talk about one member of that family oh, yeah, later but on. Who did we have in that family? Both. Well, I mean, if you count the past members, yeah. and the now not with us members, you've got you've got Yokozuna. Peter Maivia. You got Peter Maivia. You. Got uh, hi, you've got Rocky Johnson. Oh yeah, he technically married in, but yeah. Yeah, but you're Rocky Johnson, The Rock, uh, Roman, Rikishi. Roman Rikishi, uh, oh, the other head trigger, Umaga, Samu, Samu the other head trigger, uh-huh. Umaga, mm-hmm. the Samoan bulldozer, Hunters, <laughs> uh, Alpha and Seeker. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, big ass family. Like mm-hmm. I say, it's like the Von, Von Erichs with the cost. Uh-huh. <laughs> So it's not surprising that when you see a group of someone you wonder, like, are these people in there as well? Yeah. But oh, you've got. I mean, you look at Simone's and all. You got. You've got a uh, fucking Haku. Haku, yeah, and then his son Sekulio and the God. Uh, the Tonga kid. I don't know if he's in. I think he may be related to Rikishi. Yeah. Uh, he's got a son. I think it's one of his sons, Jacob Fatu. He's doing really well in the Indies right now. That's he really looks cool. like a, a slightly more agile Umaga. Yeah. Like he's a guy who's got also a belly on him, but he's not like massive as a mag was. And he can do like a thing where he springs off the ropes and flips back. Is he sort? Is he sort of like Rikishi was when he was a head shrinker? Kind of like that, yeah. So you like, he can do like a flip into the ropes and then do a moonsault standing up. That's really uh, cool. So a very agile big man. <laughs> kind of like Bam Bam. Uh, like the, the company MLW, it's in the company, and like he's been like he's been a good time like 2020, major league wrestling. Yeah. Like 2019 through like, like even this year because of the pandemic, he was like the world champion. Yeah, like like heel stable that he was involved in. But no, I must I must say in regards to the way like the WWE is right now. Yeah, and fuck me, I didn't think I'd be talking positive about the dub recently, but two shows in a row. Two though. shows in a row too. But I must say, mm-hmm. as much I know some people might not like it or be becoming tired with it, but I really am loving the bloodline. Uh huh. Because they're such cocky bastards. Mm-hmm. And, and Roman, yeah, he is subtly cocky. Mm-hmm. Because he just, he's like, come on, <laughs> I'm with shit. They had a great Fuck line. you. He had a great line, the roster, <laughs> mania. I don't even, no, you the Raw before mania, where, like, obviously a lot of things that happen on these shows sometimes are dictated by the different networks that own the, the shows. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, you know, I'm back here on Raw. I used to run this show, but then before Fox came begging me to try and save SmackDown, I've been running that show ever since. <laughs> I would, do you know what I'd love to see, honestly, for Roman Reigns? Well, you know how the, the great bastard champion of Impact, yes. Moose, yes. keeps dropping wee call-out hints to him? Mm-hmm. 
I would love to see Roman Reigns drop a wee, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So see, all this spells out of us talking about fucking the fact that the Raw debuted two weeks before the Rumble. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It happened on the hill. Yeah, we, we ramble, man. We it ramble. Is. We do. But it was on the USA where we were being on for many years. I mean, they did go to TNM for a while, then they spike, and then in 2005 they went back to... I think it was them leaving Spike to go back to the USA is what gave TNA the original spot to get onto Spike TV. Yeah. Because like, Spike were like actually fans of having wrestling on their show, and then TNA popped up like, Oh, you're looking to fill that void? We're here. Hello. We're we're looking, we look, we're looking for a major television platform. Help us. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked out an impact's favour. And the, and that spike would be their home for many years. But yeah. I just you know what I hope? Mm-hmm. Well, you know how Elon Musk is gonna buy Twitter and stop all the crap? Mm-hmm. He's a psycho billionaire. Buy impact. Jeez, I don't know what I know you've what he got, would do. You've got more money than sense. <laughs> you could make Impact the biggest thing in the whole fucking world and really annoy Vince McMahon because you've got more money than you make his wealth look like chump change. <laughs> well, so, I know you think about Raw, the biggest complaint over the years, well, the recent years, has been that all oh, the three years is too much. This is back in the days where, even with, I think with commercials, this Raw was like 40 minutes long at this point. Yeah. And a lot of it was backstage promos. Yes. So, like, this was them trying something new, because obviously the whole thing was big blocks syndicated, like, shows like pretty, your mm. prime time wrestling. Well, like, you, had your, you had your time time, you had your time, time, time slot. Yes. And you had to, you had to get, but we really, I don't think we really, in the early days at all, we really knew how to utilise the time well. Yeah, like, it was, it, a big emphasis was, even though every week it wasn't, they, they produced it, uh, they put it across, that this is live, that's why it's called Raw, it's like, the whole thing was uncooked, uncensored, like basically anything can happen. Yeah. And then like even though we recorded it the week before. Like that's why they did New York, like, oh yes, it's live and that's unpredictable New York crowd. Who knows what they'll see you for? And then very often they're like, we don't like the fact that these we got we were producing these gimmicks that we want to get over and these New York fans aren't cheering them. Let's start let's start cheering. Yeah. Let's start moving this around a bit, shall we? Uh. But and then like all of the fact that the whole thing was it was live and then by like 95, 96 team, they would be doing a thing where they'd do a live Raw and then take the next three weeks after it, so they'd do a big block of tapings. <laughs> so, like, it was like, in between the, like, in your houses, it'd be like four episodes of Raw. They would all be done in the one. Yeah. And you can tell how late in the tapings that episode of Raw was taped, judging by how knackered the crowd seemed to be. <laughs> and they do the same for Superstar. That's why apparently, that was apparently the reason they did the, the Barrier Horowitz thing. They put the Barrier Horowitz, went over a skip, right in the middle of a big block superstar team to wake the crew back up right in the middle of it. Yeah. So was was Superstars and the new gen era kind of like Velocity? Kind of like, I think Superstars sticks around, like, as, as many other sh- the shows that have been up to this point start slowly but surely getting the axe. Yeah. Superstar does stick around for you. Like, even 96 Superstars yeah, are still yeah. around. And well, like, we'd also, you remember Shotgun Saturday Night. Yeah, that would come in very briefly. Yeah, yeah. Very briefly. <coughs> even that that whole thing of that being live and unpredictable quickly what did that last like a year like a month even a couple of months yeah that basically just became another probably became another C show that was taped like right before Raw mm. where you basically got people you can't be able to have time for you on Raw go be on this, go be on Shotgun yeah, go be on Shotgun you can do what you want on that go, go do that I don't care <laughs> go on Beaver Cleavage go on Shotgun we go back to doing more live Raws in 97 where they would do like again a live raw on the Monday, come back the same town the Tuesday, yeah. do the tape raw. That's why 
Rickford was able to do that thing Raw Nights on the one night where he appeared on the Raw his last Raw was the one the Tuesday taped ones. Yeah. So when that went out, he appeared on the live Nitro <laughs> and he made sure he did a shave in the in the time in between to show look, that show's taped over there. Shit, come watch our live one. Look. Watch this. I have no moustache. <laughs> oh, look. My moustache has disappeared. Wow. How did that happen? W-C-W. <laughs> I will do it while shaving. W-C-W. <laughs> Shave off the tash. <laughs> would you like me to talk to you about what happened on the first draw? Oh. I would. I believe two members of the Royal Rumble have... I, be- I believe the first match mm-hmm. was Yoko and Coco. Yes, how that rhymes, isn't it? Yoko yeah. and Coco. Yoko and Coco. Yoko squashed poor Coco in 3 minutes and 45 seconds. <laughs> the Steiner brothers defeated the Executioners in 3 minutes. The Executioners were Barry Hardy, I tried to look up, I don't know who he is, and Dwayne Gill. Yeah. Richard Gilbert. He was a he was a jobber quite often on these early bras. And that make you sad, Barry Hardy, that Dwayne Gill is more well-known than you. At least Scott could find information on Dwayne Gill. Matt... Shawn Michaels successfully defended the Intercontinental Championship in ten and a half minutes against Max Moon. In a ten and a half minute match. And I, I haven't seen it, but I even know that it was probably better than you'd, than you'd expect it to be reading that out loud. Yeah, no, I, I believe that Max Moon, despite his stupid-ass gimmick, was actually a reasonably good wrestler. Uh, I don't know whether or not this was the Conan Max Moon or the Simon Diamond one that we get on this pay-per-view. Yeah. I don't know how many actual televised appearances Conan had as the Max Moon. So was, was, was Max Moon like Doink the Clown? There was a few people that put on the guys. Kind of, yeah. Although the Simon Diamond one would be... Time would be back in ECW by the end of 93, so that's good to tell you how quickly Max Min yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Even though apparently the gear was very expensive, like it cost a lot more than you'd expect it to. Was it sort of, did it go as well as Glacier? Yeah. Yeah. At least, at least they kept Glacier around for a while, so. Yeah. But, and then the main event was Undertaker defeating Damien Demento in 2 minutes 26. Wow. The only other noteworthy things I can find out it says was uh, Razor Ramon got a, live, got a live interview in front of the live crowd. By, uh, by Vince McMahon basically commenting on the I think they mentioned on the paper where he attacked uh, Owen Hart on one of the special mania <laughs> and the, daddy teach this one huh the end of the show was uh, an interview with Doink uh, Vince like Chris has been very angry with you because you've been making children cry and then Chris tries to get Doink and Doink it successfully evades Chris mm. and the reason they had Chris and Doink end the first rod because Chris had to compete in the dark match where he quickly beat uh, Bam Bam Bigelow by disqualification. Ah. Now, I don't I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming, given the end of IDQ, I'm assuming that in the dark match, maybe Doink ran back out again. I don't yeah. know. And yet, Christian, neither Christian Doink are on the show tonight. But I don't know why. Not in the Rumble, not in the Bam show. Doink, Doink's in the dark match before the show, but Christian's nowhere to be found. Yeah, and I'll, t- I'll, I'll say something, by the way. <laughs> Knowing I have the tape... Yeah. Of the Royal Rumble 1993, which, mm. as I'm sure I've stated several times in the show, is actually the most expensive tape in my collection. I don't, I don't think I think it's been a while since you mentioned that. Yeah. But that's an interesting fact to know. Well, most of my tapes come around, you know, between six and ten pounds. Yeah, I will pay for my tapes. Yeah, Royal Rumble 1993 cost me uh, almost thirteen quid. Mm, so not that much, but, but I, I you know, what you mean. it was it was expensive to buy. Yeah. But it was it was worth it, worth it because it helps me when I watched it back on your network. Uh-huh. Notice the bits that were missing, like it says. Well, a, a glaring piece that was missing, 
and the uh, lead up to the Sean Marty match. I think I've heard that because like I think because of quality and video and still reason they like to give people who buy the tape like little exclusive interviews that they didn't that they pre-taped on the day but didn't do in the pay per view. Yeah, there, were, there was an interview segment beforehand this? where where uh, Lord Alfred Hayes mm-hmm. is interviewing Sherry Martell uh-huh. or Sherry, you yeah. know, and he's like, "So Sherry, whose corner are you going to be in?" Mm-hmm. And she's like. Well, it could be Sean, could be Marty, could be Marty, could be Sean. <laughs> I suppose I'd have you just have to wait until I'm out there to get out of here. I have to change my nylons. He's like, "Oh, can I stay?" Like, you are a dirty old man. Get out of here. Dirty old, dirty old. Hello, Dal. The reason I was surprised, <laughs> I was surprised actually because I do know that Silver Vision did sometimes put a lot of extra bits in that mm. aren't available on the network versions anymore. Maybe because they're doing more like the live version yeah. of the vetted it down somewhat but when we did across our earlier little stage where we looked at Survivor Season 81 the Tuesday in Texas and Rumble 92 some of the ones that I'd heard about being only including the silver version versions were actually in the like I think it's on the, the Survivor Series one or the Rumble I can't remember which one but a random interview with Hulk Hogan where uh, Lord Al goes into <coughs> his dressing room I mean you know it's his dressing room because it's just as a big size as Hulk Hogan yeah. he goes in Hogan's just staring at himself in the mirror like I should be the WF champion all of the time. Was that? I not assume that's the, what he's saying. Was that not the rumble? Maybe rum, was that not the match before? No, because the King of the Ring one was when the, the camera cut and it was just the back of Jimmy Hart's coat with Hogan's big face on it. Oh yeah, that was the stuff of nightmares, wasn't it? Yeah, you just see this floating Hogan face on the back of Jimmy Hart's coat, grinning at you. Moving like Hogan's laughing, like when he laughs whenever someone asks him to lose a match. And then, and then you get more of a fright. When Jimmy Hart actually turns round, like oh, and he squeaks at you. <laughs> I got the same reaction mm-hmm. today when I was in the shop with my mother, <laughs> and you know I don't know if you do this yourself, but you know how sometimes, you know like that thing like if you see something that says "Don't touch that," uh-huh. immediately you'll go, <laughs> and you'll do it anyway. <laughs> well, I was walking around semi chem today, and I seen all the the dog toys. <laughs> And I seen a little one that looked like a space hopper, and I had to squeeze it, <laughs> and it squeaked at me, and I shat it a little bit. I went, I went and squeezed it, and it squeaked away. Ah, you really are a child in a man's body, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, even though it squeaked at me and frightened me a little bit, kind of wanted the toy. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a child in a man's body. I am, a, I am a small dog, because I see the squeaky toy and I had to squeak it. Anywho, we've been here for 29 minutes. <laughs> talking talking about squeaky toys and nylons <laughs> and bald Alfred Hayes. <laughs> Being a dirty old vicar. <laughs> Ooh, can I stay in one? <laughs> You're a dirty old man. <laughs> oh, so you know again about Raw was the commentary team for the least frustrated. So I think they would swap in Heenan occasionally when because match, Matchman was between commentary and wrestling. Yeah. But for first six or so weeks, it was Vince... Uh, Rob Barley, who was some New York comedian who knew fuck all about wrestling, was quickly given the the evil because he just wasn't funny. And Macho, but then he would get swapped in. But Macho and Vince would be a, co- a constant in the early days of Raw. And then, like when Vince announces an episode of Raw that Macho was going to w, basically going to WCW, you can actually see in his face like he looks so sad. Yes. But as we are doing the Royal Rumble 1993 today, yes, and in Razor Ramon's only fucking 
title shot. One on one title shot, yeah. I will I will be offering my tribute to the great man because <laughs> I have my toothpick it already for this show. <laughs> just don't just don't throw it at me, please. <laughs> no <laughs> My eye <laughs> Would you like a toothpick? I would rather not. You know what toothpick or the show. God knows where that's been. <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> I don't trust you. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the rumble, shall we? Take place, as I said, January 24th, 1980, from Sacramento, California. Ooh. Whenever I hear Sacramento, I always think of the segment The Rock did in Lead Up To Me in 19, where he's singing and he goes, I'm live in Sacramento. And the best thing, my favorite thing about this city is that in an hour's time, The Rock is going to leave Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took place in the Arco Arena. Uh, it was called the Arcadia from 1988 to 2011. Uh, What's called now? Uh, later it was called the Powerbound Pavilion or something like that. <sighs> the first name was better. Then it was later changed to the Sleep Train Arena okay. before it closed in 2016. Uh, I think it was or- it should have already been demolished, but I think because of the pandemic, it's been delayed. It's meant to be actually demolished sometime in 2022. So why the arena is not. Why can't we just put it back to its normal name and have proper wrestling in it? I don't know. There were 16,000 people in a roughly somewhere around 17,000 capacity venue for usually basketball-like events. So full enough. Yeah. I think if it's usually basketball, like it's a case of like the, the seats are probably arranged differently for basketball than it would be for wrestling. Oh, yeah, so yeah. That's what takes out the room of 1,000 or so. Well, you remember like in basketball, they have bleachers, don't yeah. they? Have, mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, by the way, 300,000 people from my research bought this baby. Actually, up from uh, 1992's Royal Rumble, which was 260,000. So, bad. attendance and pay-per-view buys, looking at that, mm. uh, still fairly strong. I mean, ticket sales, apparently, for WrestleMania 9 weren't the best, which is why the alleged reason for bringing Hogan in, basically. Oh, yeah. But, you know, obviously, the business issues that we, we talk about when regards to the... Plus about, that's about as believable as modern days budget cuts. Like, also, we don't look at 95, that's a... Uh, like attendance and baby rides are bad there, and also it would be a common theme that pops up throughout the new gen era. Yeah, also it's not on display yet, but I do should mention the difference here. By the time we get to Survivor Series later in the year, the the baby buys for that show are one hundred eighty thousand. Wow! So and you're only doing five pay per views in this calendar year. Yeah. So I go to show that uh, people are not maybe maybe it's because by that point you've got Lex Luger pretending to be an all American hero when. Maybe some people wanted Brett to be the champion. Or, or maybe some people else. wanted the narcissist to be a heel champion. Who, who knows? But, but, I'm, not but gonna put, I'm, not, I'm not saying all of this is Luger's fault, but no, no. I'm just saying. It's not Luger's fault, it's a booking yeah, fault. Yeah, but not all of I'm sure there are other things involved. In if, the, you, if you think about it, right, and this is something I've thought about in regards to the new genera, right? Mm-hmm. With WWF at the time, mm-hmm. I think the new generation era was basically a time period of tweaking mm-hmm. for the WWF. Like, seeing what worked, seeing what didn't quite work, kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at it, right? At the arse end, around about mid-late 97, mm. when when Stone, when Austin's starting to get up, mm-hmm. and as much as you know I'm a Sean guy, I could admit when something's working, and yeah. what was working was Steve Austin, mm-hmm. you know. Childish DX, every man, mm-hmm. Steve Austin, you yeah. know. Like, fuck you, boss, fuck you, company, fuck you, everybody, I'm going to kick ass. Yeah. 
as opposed to Triple H and Sean going, ha ha ha, ha ha, we're going to hit you and run away, ha ha ha. People were getting sick of that. Yeah, Sean and Triple H wearing the shield guard to protect themselves from being stunned. <laughs> Although, to be fair, I've seen people over the pandemic wearing those same things to protect themselves, so Sean and Triple H were ahead of their time. Yeah, they were fucking, they were trendsetters, man. <laughs> Remember when they stuck the little window wipers on it? <laughs> <laughs> or when they had that monumentally awesome European title match. Oh yes, a match for the ages five stars. Mm. I, I can't believe I've lost my prestigious European title. That is that's why I love those two. They were dickheads. Anyway, back to this show. The dark match I mentioned, Doink, was in it. He defeated Jim Powers by submission in just under six minutes. Who in the name of bollocks is Jim Powers? A very forgettable man of this era. I've heard his name. Couldn't tell you what he looks like. He is Jim Powers. Hmm. He powers into the ring, glides down, and then he leaves again. Uh, I just the submission. I can't not tell you any submission moves that Doink the Clown might know. Can't even tell you Doink the finishing move, to be honest with you. The only thing I've ever seen Doink do in any kind of serious way was a Boston Crab. He occasionally did a Boston Crab. There you go. There's something interesting. Monson and Heenan, mostly like classic duo of their era, uh, doing comedy. I believe this is actually the last pay-per-view called by these two as a duo. Yeah, because I believe in the next, or uh, one of the next draws... Heenan would be thrown out on his butt by Gorilla. Well, that wouldn't be to the, the end of the year, but, oh, was that the end but of like, year? look at the pay-per-views after this. Like, Mania and uh, King of the Ring are done by the three-man team of JR. Uh, Vincent Perfect, wasn't it? No, it was JR, uh, Macho, and Heenan as a trio. Oh, okay. that was it. By SummerSlam, Vince is like, no, I want to be on commentary because I do Raw or whatever. Well, you remember Gianni's heel phone basically said that clean Vince was jealous, that's why he got that to do commentary, but... So why was it, um, why was it Gorilla was no longer... I think maybe because he was older, because, like, he and JR did a brief thing of that Radio WRF thing. Yeah, I remember that. And then he would he would appear on screen in the years following, you know, as, like, on-screen commissioner. Yeah. And, so maybe it was a, he was getting old and they just started using him either behind the scenes or just as an on-screen authority he, figure. He became Jack Tunney. Yeah. Maybe because like, he was getting older, he wanted to do more like on-screen stuff and we only had to do a lot better. Yeah. Because he would, he, would, he would sadly pass away by like 1999. Yeah, I believe his last on-screen role was at the... Uh, the it was either the bikini contest or the, the gimmick, Royal, gimmick Battle Royal yeah. or something. Like it was that event, I'm sure. I think he was at WrestleMania 15 in the crowd. I think mm. that was maybe his last appearance. Mm. Maybe, I don't know. No, I'm sure. Like, what was that stupid fucking thing we did where they had the, the, the swimsuit contest? No, that was shit? in 2000. I think he'd already sadly passed away no, by then. No, because I think he passed in 97. I think he passed in, no, he passed in 99. Was it 99? Yeah. No, my mistake, guy. Yeah. It would. Anywho. Yeah, anyway. Let's not talk about the passing of a legend. Yeah. So, yeah, but so by SummerSlam, it's Heenan and Vince. I think we did that for Severity as well. DBS, mm. uh, does it with Vince. And at the Royal Rumble, because Gerald Lawler's got his legal issues and he needs to say to leave. Cause yeah. I think he wanted to leave because, and leave and took the job in WCW because it would be closer to his daughter who was going off to college at the same Was it Wasn't that why uh, Jerry having his legal issues? Wasn't that why uh, 
Sean Sean was supposed to fight yeah. Sean and his knights went and ended up fighting the Heart Foundation, wasn't it? Supposed it was, to be yeah, the king. It was king of his knights, and Sean was basically he was supposed to be suspended, which is why he had to give up the IC belt, which is why Razor won it. Mm. And so they brought basically Sean back early because they couldn't find anyone else to to do the thing with the knights. Yeah. So they brought him back in, and then they started the whole thing like I'm the real Intercontinental Champion. Mm. And, you know, who knows what that led to. Some so, the King's legal issues went and got shot off the hook. Yeah, basically. But then King would be back by WrestleMania. He and, he and Vince would call WrestleMania. And then, pretty much then onwards, it was King and King and Vince for quite a long time after that. And then JR came in. It was the three of them. And then, and then JR and King. Thank God. Yeah. And then we got the second greatest <laughs> commentary duo. Mm. Well, the greatest commentary duo... Is Gorilla and Bobby Heenan. That is, and I, I know a lot of people yeah. disagree. A lot of people did not grow up with that kind of shit, and we grew up with the King and JR. And yeah. that, if you tell them that anyone other than King and JR were yeah. the best commentary, and we're like, that's wrong. You're wrong. But I, I do. I have this place in my heart for like the brief uh, minor so months that JR and Heenan were a team. Oh, aye, that was a, yeah. aye, that was pretty good. Because, like. Like he human wasn't giving it wasn't causing shit like being pervy like uh, <laughs> I mean he could be occasionally but he wasn't as blatant about it as JLR was but he he wasn't basically just being annoying. he was basically giving it right back to to JR and JR for points where like where you could tell he's like I can't stand you I wish I could just fucking kill you <laughs> anyway uh, let, let let's not forget the monumentally awesome commentary duo of Taz and Michael Cole I like Taz and Michael Cole. I didn't like it that much. <laughs> I did. Well, I like Mike. Well, I put up with Michael Cole, but I didn't really like Taz that much. I think he was better in ring when he was behind the desk. Mm. Just mm-hmm. you know, but, but there are a lot of has shortly before the pay debuted officially in the WWE. He does a bit of wrestling, and he also does like commentary alongside Vince McMahon on Superstars. He yeah. was taking over the role that Mr. Perfect did start now that Perfect was back in a... I, I in enjoyed Perfect on the commentary desk. Yeah, he would go back to commentary if, like, Superstars in, like, 96, he and JR were a commentary duo, like, yeah. you and I talked about it on In Your House, uh, Beware a Dog, because the second half of the show that was re-recorded was done at Superstars taping, so as the Superstars commentary team, it was those two calling it the latter half of the baby view. Yeah. And they were actually a very good team together. You wouldn't expect that team to work as well, maybe, as they did. No, oh, well, come on. He must have perfect. Yeah. He was perfect at everything. <laughs> yeah, he was. And I'm I'm not I'm only being half funny, Larry. He was perfect at everything. Yeah. The greatest man never he won the big belt. That... Thank, thanks, Hogan. <laughs> cunt. You say that about a lot of people, including the calling Hogan a cunt. Uh but what I thought interesting about this show, no intro package, you just you just go straight into a big Big rumble letters, and you yeah. got the girl on one Oh, God, look at this gem, Pectorino. Oh, God, to the Royal Rumble. And he does his thing where he's running the card, and you got he in there looking like he's, trying, he's waiting for him to finally shut up so he can get his wedding. Like, yeah, yeah but who cares about any of the Royal Rumble or the Dow match? What about the unveiling of Narcissus? I'm going to get this sort of next day on the on him. He's going to be all muscly and oily. He's like, what about Narcissus? And he and uh, Monsoon just kicked back, who cares? Yeah. And then the Steiner's music is like, let's go to the ring for a match. And, uh, the first match is the Steiner brothers, who also recently debuted in the company, mm-hmm. taking on the Beverly brothers. <laughs> so you've got a team of actual brothers versus a team of who aren't brothers. Yeah, Bo mm-hmm. and Blake. Yes. Against Rick and Scott. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, now I said before, like we were very critical of the Beverly, especially in the uh, match with the Bushwhackers. And that no, I, I was only thing. critical of the Beverlys in that match because of the fucking Bushwhackers. The Beverly brothers couldn't do anything with those two fucking smelly dickheads. Yeah, I, I've mentioned that, mate, that I don't think I've ever seen a Beverly Brothers match that I enjoyed until this one. <laughs> I really just, and it wasn't even for them. It was mainly thanks to what the Steiners did in this show because see what happens when they've got an actual tag team to work with. Yeah, and it was, it was, I mean, the only thing I remember significantly about the Beverly Brothers was the one without the moustache uh-huh. constantly going, <laughs> Oh, he pulled my hair. Oh, oh he pulled my tights. Yeah. And you're like, Wrestle, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the one without the mustache. I, t- I don't know part. I now know that Blake's the one with the mustache, and his real name, it, name in real life is Michael Enos. <laughs> Michael Enos, <laughs> and the other one, his last name's Bloom, and he's he's got a son called Von Wagner, and in, in NXT now, Von Wagner is one of the shittest wrestlers I've ever seen. And knowing that his father was a Beverly, it now makes a lot more sense. Honestly, if you I, I, if I showed you a clip of Von Wagner, you think this man does not know how to be human, even how to speak. <laughs> He's got the former Robbie E doing his talking for him. That's how bad he is. Ah. So he learned well from his daddy, Lynn. Yes, pretty much, yeah. <clears throat> no, if he came out wearing the same cape that his father used to wear, maybe I'd have a bit more time for him. But until such times as he came does out that. Came the cape with the same music. <laughs> get La- get La- Lanny Poffo in to talk for him. <laughs> the genius. Yeah, by this point, they've no longer got the genius by their side, but... Rick and Scott came out, they got a big ovation, they quickly become very popular. Oh, yeah. I think they would only last until they were about a, last a year in the WF, but they still managed to get a couple of uh, short WF tag title reigns in there as well. Twice, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And they, they won against Money Inc. Lost it back, I think it was, they won, lost, they won and lost them in a series of live events, then won them again and held them for a while, I think they held them through into the end of the year where they lost them to uh, the Quebecers. Because mm. I know by the time the Rumble comes around in '94, the Quebecers are. Were they ever against... won or defended on a on a Raw or a on a on a pay per view? I don't know. I think they defended them on Raws because they defend them at Survivor at SummerSlam against the, uh, the Heavenly Bodies successfully. Heaven, ah, oh, fucking Heavenly Bodies. Like, like Tom were, Pritchard and they were not heavenly. No, I think it was very much an ironic name. Yeah, and then. Uh, I mean, by that point, Tom Pritchard looked like he'd melted. <laughs> he he was not heavenly, and the the other one looked like the other one. I think is sadly passed now. Um, Another heavenly body. Yeah, Jimmy Del Rey. Jimmy Del Rey. He rem- have you ever seen the Cleveland show? <laughs> yeah. Remember the hillbilly guy that went out with with the fat, really fat bob. <laughs> Jimmy Del Rey looked like him. I think Jimmy Del Rey looks like that creepy uncle you don't want to be left alone with. To be honest with you. Uh, he's a hillbilly guy, yeah. he's sitting outside the shop with a fucking can of blue ribbon and he's on, you're like, <laughs> like, But he wouldn't know heavenly. You're out with your children like, kids, come away from the strange looking man. Yeah. I mean, I'm, su- I'm sure he's a you know, heavenly body now, you know, but... Because I'm sure he was a good cunt and all. Yeah. But, you know... I mean, I liked them, but I did not I did not like the name, it did not suit them. Looking in this, this, this match here, eh... Uh, yeah, but like you said, we bow and it starts off with Scott because he, compl- he, he alleges that he pulled my hair. And yeah, then he keeps going, mm-hmm. yeah. Ah, uh, uh, he keeps going, like, yeah. oh, he pulled my hair. Oh. And then I think at one point he then gets an advantage in a headlock by pulling Scott's hair, you know, mm. being a hypocritical heel. And then yes. in, in comes Rick, he like, starts throwing the guys around. 
we used to play to showing off that amateur background, catching him in a big slam. Yeah. And Scott comes yeah. back in, he does a big overhead suplex. Rick was Rick was a well, both of them were really solid wrestlers, but Rick was really solid mm-hmm. for that like takedown and slamming and power and shit. You know, it's always funny what Scott's there in this period because for like ninety eight onwards, we really started packing on the roids. Mm. He started becoming less and less mobile. So seeing him actually be able to move as quick as he does. Oh, I know. He's like when he was in the Steiner Brothers, he was really good. Like even and you, you look at that. Like you look at Scott Steiner over there. Uh-huh. And you go, that doesn't even look like what he became. We should even we should mention now uh, here in twenty twenty two, newly inducted Hall of Famers, the Steiner brothers. Yeah, and we, as as uh, I think uh, Jr. said, Rick is a more level headed one. Which is we were given that Rick uh, nicknames out, and I'm pretty sure he even got a tattoo on his body with his own nickname, the Dog Face Gremlin. <laughs> and then what's funny, I think it's like in late ninety four, like. Like Nene 3, obviously they have a big... They're on Team Lex and after various reasons, I think Rick gets Kayfabe taken out and replaced with The Undertaker because I think Vince wanted to set up a potential Scott Steiner singles run and that's what caused them to go back to say, like, no, we want to be together, we want to stay a team. And considering how ironic it is years later that Scott would go on and become, like, the bigger star of the two. Yeah, like a genetic w, freak. He would go on to be, like, US champion, world champion. Mm. Did, did Rick ever win anything significant on his own? He was either a TV or US champion. He held one of the two. I think. I think he was one of the last US champions. He was the one that that Booker T beat to win it when he went on to then win it. Beat he beat, he beat Rick for the US belt and then on the last Nitro beat Scott for the World title to hold both. Because remember when he comes into the WWF for the invasion, he's holding both belts. Yeah, and Rick, you can tell me less because <laughs> you're quite knowledgeable in these little tidbits. Rick himself, I know Scott mm-hmm. came back to the WWF as, you know, Big Papa Pump. Yeah. Was Rick ever back in the WWF? No, in the WWF. I think the two popped up in uh, TNA in 2007 for a wee feud with the Dudleys because they were both, like, annoyed that the other team would ever be considered yeah. the greatest team of all time, so they wanted to prove who the greatest team was. Did so they th- prove it? I think, I think the Stingers ended up winning that feud somehow. Yeah. Uh, Actually, Scott Steiner at one point in the mid two thousands, alongside Tyson Tonko, had a brief run as IWGP Tag Team Champions. Wow! Like I think they won, they had some success in Japan, but Rick has shown up once or twice in NXT because his son Braun Breaker is now the big star over there. Mm. So, and yet, even though like he wrestles like Rick, but sounds like Scott when he talks. <laughs> <laughs> best of both worlds: sound like a psycho, wrestle like a gremlin. I was gonna say best of both mental bastards, basically. Mm. I must say, that Hall of Fame, though, Scott in particular, was looking really old. I remember always thinking of it, Scott Steiner, like, what if you could combine the craziness of Roy Steiner with the athleticism of this Steiner? And you realise that what the answer would be is Broken Breaker. That's yeah. basically what you get. All these years later, I finally got my wish. You did? Anyway, Scott... I'd, I'd like to see him coming out in the chain mill. <laughs> and the... Like, like I said, when he first won the AXC title, he won with the Steiner recliner. Yeah. And he did it better than Scott Steiner ever fucking did. <laughs> well... Scott, you know, he looked. He was a lot like. He was a lot like the Ultimate Warrior in that respect. Looked the shit, uh-huh. but really was shit. Like the Steiner Kramer basically is like ninety percent the other person selling, and Scott Steiner just lay, mildly puts his arm around you and like, and relax. <laughs> He's just sitting there. Yeah, it's not. It's not like the way like someone like. Like, say, a Benoit would pull on a, a fucking submission move, you know? Like, Scott Steiner's version of the Steiner recliner, and maybe be up there with how shit-looking this Cena STF looks with the arms crossed. What, you mean when Cena puts his arms on somebody, clearly doesn't he touch them, and then goes, TAP! TAP! 
Tap, I'm just lightly squeezing your ears, but tap. Oh no, my ears may get slightly red. <laughs> oh no, my ears are getting sweaty and I can't hear you say tap. <laughs> but anyway, this mascot weirdly is the one that gets isolated because uh, Beverly's like, like, do a double team move when the referee's trying to get Rick out of the ring and yeah. Rick does that classy thing. Oh no, I'm getting into the ring to complain to the ref. But it's causing my partner to get beat up two on one. Back yeah. The Beverly's still kind of decent for a while because one of them chokes Scott with the tag rope. They do a thing where one yeah. of them grabs the legs and the other one does some kind of splash looking thing. And God, I don't know how to describe it. It's a Beverly splash. Also, the referee for this match, and he pops up a couple of in the show, the uh, Alfonso. From uh, uh-huh. from ECW, he would be the manager like Taz, Sabu, yeah. RVD, most famously. You know, Bill Alphonse, that's his name. Bill Alphonse. Uh, most known for his very annoying whistle. That you wanted to just grab and shove, did he? So like, stop blowing that fucking whistle. Wasn't he the coach? No. Nah. He was. No, he was just, he was just called Alphonse, Bill Alphonse. But just when you said whistle, uh, I was thinking, no, yeah, but yeah, perfect manager, the no. coach, you know. But, but he'd always have a, a whistle as well. But we, I think he got to start as a referee, so... Yeah. So we go into the business. So he's the referee in this. Uh, the crowd are very loud, so like rooting for Scott to get him. Like, yeah. look at the undercard. Like, they're the crowd clearly have their favorites for a lot of these undercard matches. A clear good guy, clear bad guy. <laughs> and so whenever the heels on top, there's there's that feeling in these some of these undercard matches. That feeling of the crowd are you know they're ready, like they're waiting for that moment where the face will start his big fiery comeback. Mm. And they get that for Scott. He eventually tags in the dog face grandma who just starts running wild, you know. <laughs> Going nuts. Takes the double clothesline. They both around, hits one of them. The other one seems, thinks he's avoided it. No, get clothesline for you yeah. as well. Uh, the Beverly's look like they're going to give Scott some sort of version of the Doomsday device. I can uh, almost... Yeah, yeah. But it was it was a hundred mile away for him. I thought they were going to do that thing they did with the head shrinkers where like when he dies at Rick and Trick does a like, slam midair. But no, what Scott does, he wrote does like a victory roll through so the guy just lands on nothing yeah. ends up rolling out and Rick grabs him to make sure he doesn't get back in the ring Scott hits the other Beverly by this point I've forgotten which Beverly is which yeah, in the yeah, ring yeah. by the way I know one of the moustache but I wasn't it was going too fast for I me think, I think moustache was the one that went and tried to do a dive mm-hmm. and get I, I, I'll i take your word for that it seems I, possible I, I think that, that Mr Enos <laughs> I think he was the more powerful of the two Beverly's by by uh, by this point in the match, they're moving to have asked for me to check which one had the mustache or not. But no, I think I think Tashi misses the dive <laughs> because he's a hundred mile away from him. <laughs> You'll be wrestling, Mister Beverly. <laughs> and then the other one gets up off the ropes. Scott Steiner, Frankensteiner, mm. pops him right on his fucking. It head. looked really good. Mm-hmm. You know, but he went right on his head. So I think, like, I think I've got to give credit to to. Mr. Enos. <laughs> he Blake, right? No, like, I think Bo was the one, so he's the his surname's like Bloom. I can't remember his first name, but, but anyway. Yeah. I think he knows like he knows how to yeah. sell properly because when, when he went and flipped them for the yeah. for the Frankensteiner, <laughs> you can see he dives right yeah. and he he lands you see the, the landing yeah. and you go like Ugh! Yeah. You know, and he gets them, rolls up. Uh-huh. One, two, three. Yeah, he may look how it, how it should look. And like, yeah. even Bobby Heenan, the heel like, commentator, really gives some credit to this thing. I was like, he sees at one point, I'm like, oh, at least Starrivers are showing me something. I'd heard a lot of talk about these. <laughs> and then at one point, when they show the replay of how you're like, oh, and he must go, oh, he dropped him right on his head. And then once uh, he puts all the frankies, they go, nobody gets up from that. Yeah, he's like, oh, my, my brain scan's not working. <laughs> like, somebody in the truck's messing with my brain scan. He's trying to, like, so he's going to dive here, and Scott Starrivers all the way over here. 
then he moves and he's got nothing. He's all the way I over did, here. I did, I did love that with Bobby Heenan, you know, his, mm. his brain scan. Yeah. I loved that one when it was, uh, I think it was Survivor Series 92, uh-huh. when High Energy, mm-hmm. or I think it was High Energy versus Head Shrinkers. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's down here. No, with Head Shrinker, he's up here and he's a pilgrim. <laughs> Look, you can see the hat and everything. <laughs> and all in heart, he's down here and he's. A turkey! Oh. <laughs> Just over 10 minutes this sort of match, so a decent opening decent tag match. 10 minute opening yeah. match. Yeah, the tag champs of the time are money, ain't they're in the Royal Rumble, so yeah. I think it's just a case of this and the Headringer matches because it's like a case of like, we are building the signers up for it to be future title contenders, and they do a good job of that because it's a shame the signers didn't stick around longer because I think it could have been a great you know, staple of the Tag team division. Yeah, right, the tag team division. Because, like, like, also, Hedgehogs would get more of a, a showcase because they would win the belts in 94, and obviously, we already saw them be stairs at WrestleMania 9. But I like to have seen a proper program like Heel Smoking Guns against the Stairs, or hell, yeah. even have the Stairs turn heel, have the heel run in the new gen era. Yeah, or like, like, they could have stuck around at least until yeah. late new gen era, like yeah. 95 and 96. But mind you, if they hadn't went back to WCW, maybe we wouldn't got a heel big pop up pump. So. True. Do you think like properly utilised the Beverly's could have been any better than the world? Do you think they were at the level they, they were they were at their level? They were at their level. I mean, they will be good to watch, but they they can sell very well. So they're very good at making other people look good. As so they sort of mid card cannon fodder. Yeah, they were never going to be the chance, but they were, you know. They, they would sometimes look into a tail shot like when they fought the natural disasters at SummerSlam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that was going to go well for them. Then we get a really decent like, video package here for the, the Rockers being like, they were the most exci- one of the most exciting tag teams that they with fast, innovative offense. And the, the part they choose to show is when they're picking the other up and just dropping him on his opponent. Yeah, like, yeah. That's the bit you choose to show, not a back clap or a double super kick or nothing like that. Yeah, That's yeah. the bit you choose to show. They show obviously the the famous bit from the barber shop and everything, you know, where Marty tries to escape through the barber shop window. Don't I've got to say, and I know I say every time we mm-hmm. we we go over this, but don't you think that super kick looks vicious? Very much so. Don't you think so? Yeah. Like, I don't know how much Michaels actually legitimately wanted to kick Marty's <laughs> face in at that point for all the shit he was causing. I mean, I, mean, I know I told the story where Marty was trying to convince Sean to go to WCW because he thought they were being fucked over on money yeah. and everything. So maybe there was some frustration behind there. I think there was a lot of frustration in that kick because he caught him flush on the chin with that one. So I was like, this, is, this was right before the Rumble in 82. And so you're probably wondering, this is Royal Rumble in 83, what the hell happened in all this time? I'll tell you. So Marty misses out the Rumble in 82 because he's selling the injuries, all right? Mm. So we're going to pick this up, build to WrestleMania 8, Rocker V, Rocker, the, the team explodes, all that. Marty gets in some legal trouble and he got pulled over for being under the influence. And then uh, he kind of got into a skirmish and resisted arrest, so that added an extra charge onto that. He got let go, he had to go away for a while. And then he comes back right before Survivor Studios for that angle that they show in the video where Shay's got a big heart-shaped mirror, Sean's um, admiring himself in the mirror. Can, can I, I'm sorry to cut out on this part, but can I just point out a little thing that I always thought, <sighs> it made me do that. Marty can, Mar- no, 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 Sean's hair looked great. Yeah. Sean looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Sean always looked fantastic. Until he got old. But, anyway, until he found Jesus, you know. He looked great until he found Jesus. Get to that point. Well, as he's in the ring, doing his thing, you know, mm-hmm. with the big mirror, mm-hmm. Marty comes in, mm-hmm. fucking goes mental on him. Yeah. Sherry's standing there, right? Yeah. And she's going, 
With one hand, she's going, no, no, don't hit him, no. With her other hand, she's got her hand behind her back, positioned perfectly for Sean to grab her. <laughs> and like, could you make it any more obvious what is about to happen, woman? Mm-hmm. You've been in this business for a long time, you know you shouldn't make it so goddamn obvious. So, I like to do like the fact Sean's out of mind and said, Mario jumps to the crowd and there's that moment where Sean sees him behind him like, oh God, no. Mario with a pretty bitch in Gene or Sean. Yeah. And then, although he, if he's in the crowd, he gets all excited, he does a big thing where he's big stomping yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right before he punches him. And then he grabs the Mario's and smashes the mirror like he smashed him through the glass window. You know, symmetry and all that. Yeah. And then, obviously, Sean pulls Sherry's down, making it obvious. She gets hit with it. I heard stories, allegedly... She may have got almost got a bit of glass in her eye. Mm. Sherry, so well, it, would, it would have been shattered glass, yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah, even then, getting it in, in near your eye is still probably mm. a bit. I mean, better than real glass, but still a bit. Yeah, and I know, I know, I comment on the fact she did make it look pretty obvious that she yeah. was going to get grabbed, but I yeah. like the fact that, like, obviously she does that because you can see when Marty cracks her with it, you can yeah. see she does the sensible thing and turns a little. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, that's probably why she got it near her eye because she turned. Mm-hmm. No, because I think she took most of the brunt of that, yeah. like, yeah, like on her shoulder. Yeah, I think but, I think she takes off a lot of time off TV right before the rumble, and the a big hate going to this is whose corner will she be in? Yeah, yeah. And so we got finally got it, partner v partner. Now, I think you may be able to tell us in some parts of the match, but it did seem like they're waiting for another to pay this off at another time, and they were planning to. They were, this was supposed to go to Mania Nine. <laughs> did Did Marty fuck up again? Well, some say he did. Others say that tell of a story where he was sleeping backstage, but Sean made it said to went up to the bosses and said, "Oh, he's passed out. He's drunk again backstage." Then Mister Perry had to come along and say, "No, he's fucking telling. He's telling fibs again, like that." Sean Michaels, <laughs> which apparently supposedly is why he was out there when Mike actually did get that one over Sean on an episode of Raw. Mm. But to be fair, that was one of the proper like first, first big Raw moments with Sean was Marty winning the title off it. Of, off his showing on Raw. Didn't he lose it a few days later? He lost it at a live event right before King of the Ring. That was the, the debut of Diesel. Yeah. Next and, to the debut in Diesel. Yeah. So that was what it was. Mm-hmm. So, Sean tells Fibs about Marty. Uh, Marty misses WrestleMania Marty again. Marty misses WrestleMania again. Mr. Perfect goes, Halt, you're a cunt, I'm watching you. Uh-huh. Comes out, backs up Marty, Marty wins the title. Uh-huh. So Sean brings on his big honours. Uh-huh. And then probably goes like that to Mr. Perfect. What you going to do now? I've got my big hotness. I don't know that works, but I'm imagining someone I, like I that. I do not believe that Kurt Henning uh-huh. had much time for Mr. Hickenbottom. No, no, he did not. I think he was one of the first people to probably like, I don't like you, you're a bit of a cunt. No, you're a dick. Aye. So, you're, mid- a, you're a conniving wee cunt, you. The mood towards John Eagles backstage was starting to change unless you were Nash, Waltman or Scott Hall yeah. and later Triple H. Yeah. Oh, you mean they're sober bag boy? Yes, very much. But I was really looking forward to seeing this match. Sherry comes out first, obviously. Marty has this gear on that looks like he's been put through a shredder. I, do you know, I must say, when I was younger, mm-hmm. like about my kid's age, I liked Marty's gear. Mm-hmm. You know, but don't you think, on reflection, it just looks like... It's like... Come on, man! I want, I want Rocker's gear. We can get you Rocker's gear on Wish. <laughs> oh, look, I'll make you. It. it looked like it was decent gear, but then the fucking weird, weird like gaps. Like I said, it looked like someone took decent gear, put it through a shirt, and like, there you go, it's ready mm-hmm. for you to wear. But you know, Marty sell, 
sold it well. It looked yeah. good. He came in and he was all like, ah, a bit rumble. Yeah, yeah. saw it with the white pants and the gold ring jacket. It looked well. cool as fuck. You know, it's a light blue or turquoise strap for the that. IC yeah, title. It was a sky blue, kind of. Uh, yeah. But then, by, then later on his run, you'll, you'll go back to the, the white strap. But, and then when the, the time where he's feeding with Ramon, both belts have got the back to the black strap. Yeah, as why, well. was it, why was it blue? Was there any particular reason, or it just was? Yeah, I don't know, maybe it was. They were just trying it out, maybe. Yeah, much like the multi the multicolored titles of the Warrior. Maybe, yeah. And then, when with the name, sometimes they'll switch to black strap, it's the white strap, then it's back to the black strap again. Yeah. Even though the white strap always looked the best. And then, of course, in SummerSlam, between Triple H and The Rock, it was yeah. a purple strap. Yeah, and by then they'd already moved to the, the oval, I think. Yeah. I think it was around about that few where The Rock has that run and he starts for Triple H, that's when they shift from... Classic design to the oval. Yeah, because classic design, the last major <laughs> storyline of the classic design was a storyline between Stone Cold and The Rock. Yeah, I think that's how they actually got rid of the old design. Where, like He throws it off the bridge and then a week or so later they debut the new version. Yeah, yeah. So, there you go. The Interesting backstory. It is. The more you know. The more you know. Thank you. Uh, so, he comes out looking all cool and everything and... Sherry's making sure she's standing in a very neutral space. She's not giving away her allegiances. She looks just very, yet. she looks very lovely. Mm-hmm. So, I think I don't know who it was. I think it may have been. I can't remember. I've heard an interview with a wrestler who said this, but he's. I remember he said. And I think I brought this before. Like he doesn't like the idea of a wrestler being called the Janetti when the tag team breaks up. And he often said, like, the person who doesn't succeed in the tag team should be called the Nightar. Mm. <laughs> but like, I don't think Marty didn't succeed that as much as Sean because of his because he didn't have the talent because he showed some good stuff in this match I think, really if he, I think if he kept his nose clean both literally and figuratively yeah, yeah. he would have uh, been a bit more successful he kept his nose clean and managed to let his liver breathe a little bit you know he done well in the IC scene the IC title scene or even the tag scene because remember he had that brief two week run with the 1-2-3 kid when they were tag team champions yeah, yeah. didn't he have two brief runs with the tag belts just one? Just the one, yeah. Just the one. The kid would have a second title run with Bob Polly. That was it. That's it. All of 24 hours. Oh, I know, I know. But at least they won it. <laughs> they had the same tag title run as fucking uh, Matt Cardona had with the IC title. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. The only difference is at least Matt Cardona got a WrestleMania moment out of it. So, Sean does his thing where he tries to bravely run away away. <laughs> <laughs> he does a brave Sir Robin. <laughs> I never! Also, Sean Michaels comes out. Sherry's, I don't know if she's inside, but she's still singing his entrance theme. You see Shaw, he's moving like, he's, he's just moving like, he's mouthing the words along yeah. to his song. I just liked it when he got in the ring, and he, before he starts, like, <laughs> doing his thing, getting his gear off, he's looking at Sherry, he's like, come on. I was watching, like, a clip from an A&E documentary, they did a series of WWE ones, and one was about Sean, and Sean talked about the song that I loved when Sherry sang it. And Jimmy Hart, he wrote the song, he came to me with the idea of, what, what if you sing your own song, like, talking about how sexy you are, and, like, mate, like, I was like, Jimmy. I can't sing, like, don't worry, we'll take care of it, we'll make you sound good. <laughs> so, I think that implies a lot of auto-tune was done there to make Sean sound better than he was. But at least, I, he, at least he admitted that he couldn't sing, he didn't have a pain, so like, oh, I'm a great singer, me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, I can't sing. He's like, don't worry, we'll make it seem like you can sing. Aye. I'm Jimmy Hart, come on, I can make people sort of like Hulk Hogan. Aye. Sort of. Sort of. But yeah, Sean tries to run away, but Mark keeps diving onto the outside after him, making sure he can't get away. Mm. He goes for one dive too many, and Sean moves out of the way. And uh, yeah. Bobby Heaton is relentless on, on Mark's Oh, I know, I know, I know. I must say, well, if you notice, mm-hmm. well, it's, 
it's probably mm-hmm. a bad thing mm-hmm. going on crowd reaction during this match. Yeah. That we didn't, you know, yeah. have Marty beat him. Yeah. Because, you know, crowd reaction, every time Marty did something, yeah. crowd were hot as fuck. Like, when you look at it, like, uh, the whole, like, Marty was like, looked like he had him beat, but it was unfortunate. The that means he doesn't walk out with the belt. Yeah. So I think that's, again, the blow-off was meant to be rest. I mean, that's the big... That was where show, that's where Marty could have possibly yeah. beaten him. It's not nothing to say that he maybe wouldn't have lost it back to Sean at some point. Because uh, like if Sean lost it, well, that would imply they were moving up the card, but they didn't have designs on moving Sean towards the WWE title just yet. Just yet, no. No. So there's nothing to say that they, he wouldn't have lost it back. But I think the moment was his moment was meant to come at WrestleMania nine, where he would have finally got Sean where he wanted him. You know, mm. but. He looked good here, like Sean then grabs him, throws him shoulder first. Yeah, the yeah. And then, well, like this, Marty is wrestling like the Rockers used to wrestle, like the high fly in the offense. Mm. Whereas Sean is showing, because he's now a heel, he has to now work over. He's showing he can be a bit more versatile yeah, he's, in his he's offense. Showing, he's showing little little mm. shades of what he would eventually do quite significantly in his yeah. in his, uh, his Ironman match at WrestleMania 12. Yeah, he's showing new sides of his... Uh, ability. His ability, yeah. He can be a bit more methodical. He can slow it down, like, work, work him over, and which and the crowd don't lose interest because they're now getting even more behind they're invested. Like, one of my favourite spots in the entire match, mm-hmm. and it's a little spot, but it's really quite, like, oh. Yeah. There's a spot where I think uh, Marty's trying to get a bit of momentum on Sean. Yeah. And he comes off the rope. It's, it's at a mid-match, and yeah. you know his shoulder's bad. Yeah. Comes off the rope, and Sean catches him, mm-hmm. like, mid-run, and just boom, down on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. I thought that spot was really solid, you know what I mean? Because it just it just took the wind right out of Marty, and you're like, ah, my hell. There's a bit where, where Marty gets not to outside, and he's trying to take as much time as he can to kind of, you know, Emphasize rest his shoulder. The shoulder thing. And rest, and he's also selling it as he do. And then Sean dies off the apron, hits him, and that knocks him a bit up the entrance ramp, mm. and uh, before grabbing him and dragging him back to the ring. And he then brilliantly goes, oh, Mario Jenny was trying to run away and Sean had to bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> and they go back to, towards the ring, you, know, you see Sherry, she teases, oh, is she going to go with Sean? But yeah. there is a cool moment where Marty's on the apron and, and he turns the tide by grabbing Sean and kind of sibling the outside, but he doesn't go back with him, he kind of just throws him over. Yeah. And that's where things kind of turn. And that's where Sherry looks like, oh, she's, is she concerned about Sean? Nope, smack him across well, the face. The thing is, she sold it so well, though. Uh-huh. Because she comes up to Sean, mm-hmm. and but just before she mm-hmm. does what she does, she looks so conflicted because yeah. you see her. She's looking at Sean, and she looks like she's crying, mm-hmm. and she's like going like, oh, like, yeah. and then eventually she just and she fucking slapped them good. Yeah, you heard it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean she gave him a scud. But when you think about it, it makes sense because like you, you blatantly pulled me and harms away. You don't uh, give a shit about me. Yeah, fuck you, you cunt. It's not as if it's she, not exactly that she likes Marty, it's just she hates Sean now and that she wants to see him lose. Uh, and at that point, <laughs> she, you can see she's actively backing Marty to win yeah. the match. Like, then Marty backdrops Sean and he kind of bridges into a pen, which was a nice little bit. Mm. Bobby, and he did, he did it properly, he lifted a shoulder. Yeah, Bobby Heenan is relentless. He turns on Sherry so quickly, like, yeah, like no good. Yeah. <laughs> I believe there's a lot more expletives on the videotape. Yeah, he, he called her a bimbo. He calls, he's just like Mr. Perfect. He's a male bimbo. I think on the videotape, there's one point where he calls her a goddamn Jezebel. <laughs> She's no good. 
And then at one point where she gets into the ring and Sean kind of face 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 her, he calls for Sean to pile driver. Uh, <laughs> next time you get you get get that cross there, Sean, smack her. You smack her right back. Uh, yeah, no good. Hard. <laughs> So then Mario goes on a real run here, you know. No, he's a, getting major, like, The spot going. where he goes to dive off the top, he knows Sean's going to move, lands on his feet, as soon as Sean gets up, DDTs him. Mm. He hits a super kick, even though it's not either man's finisher. Or it's, well, a it's decent a, super yeah, kick, yeah. Well, and one thing refers to as the reverse crescent kick. Mm. I don't know what a crescent is, but okay. No, you know Monsoon was his weird technical names for mm. things. And then there's a cool point where, like, that could have easily that could have been the finish where Sean kicks out, uh, Mario grabs him, flings him into the this corner. He hits his head off the post. Mm. Immediately gets into a bed and he kicks out again. And then there's an interesting point here. I think it's only a small thing where Sean starts getting back into it. And it looks like before he throws this punch, he looks around, I think, to see if the referee's there. And uh, then he goes, right, puts his arm as far back as he can. Oh, he just so happens to have elbowed the referee. He doesn't so much look around, but as he's lining up for the shot, yeah. you see him getting a, like, he lifts his arm. Uh-huh. And he go, as he lifts the arm, he goes, you know, just little little yeah. side look, and then he lifts the arm and goes, Incredible. Like, huh, I did not mean to elbow you in the face. Mm. Or did I? <laughs> or did I? <laughs> so there, if you get taken out, but uh, Sherry then comes in, Marty's got Marty's got him on a Phil Nelson. Uh, and he's saying, like, Come on, get her. She's, she's about eating Sean. She's taking her shoe off. Uh, she's getting him. And then Sean moves. Hits and Marty and. Oh, how heavy are those shoes? Because Mario looked like he was knocked the fuck out. Yeah, well, she clogged them right in the dome with a mm-hmm. shoe, mm-hmm. and then Sean gets in her face and he's fucking uh, pointing what, at her and calling he, her a cunt and shit. That's where he didn't say pile driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hit her! <laughs> Strike her! Strike, Keep her in line! Strike her very roughly! Strike us! Striking Centurion very roughly! <laughs> and then Sean does a super kick or the crescent kick as Monty calls it's it. The, it's the way Sean does it though, yeah. he does it with such contempt. Because he lifts Marty up and Marty's still groggy yeah. and he's getting on his knees and Marty just look, uh, Sean just looks at him and he's like, cunt. Marty does even a big flip. Like now when Rikisha or Fatu used to do that big flip still when he got a clothesline, that's what Marty does. Mm. And like, what's interesting is it's not even Sean's main finisher. Like, no, that was, he was still a backbreaker. Uh, but the teardrop suplex it was called. Okay. <laughs> I know. Uh, because obviously he's been hit by the shoe, that's enough for Sean. Pin yeah, it's it's such a damp squibby a finish goal for what was such a good match. And then Martin just got picked up, kicked in the face, pinned, and Sean just grabs his belt and looks at him and is going, Psst. But then I think the thing with Luna being in his corner, where he's Sean's corner at Mania, and then Luna, Sherry coming back, being in uh, being in Marty's corner, that was maybe the payoff. So if that match had happened, we'd maybe look back on it differently. But oh, true, true. Again, like they, were, they, had, they aren't put all their eggs in the one basket, they were saving some eggs for WrestleMania. Yeah, and then Sherry runs back stage all hysterical, and Sean goes running back, and I did catch part of what he said to her. And I was like, "Really?" When he said it, and he's like, "I brought you up from the gutter, girl." <laughs> I did love, like she's all hysterical, like she can't get a word out, and like <laughs> Mean Gene is trying to get a word with her, and he's almost annoyed at her for being upset because he can't do his interview. Like, he's like, calm so, down. So, Sherry, you are a hysterical woman. Calm down. Huh? I'm trying to do my interview. No, but like, like Sean goes up and he's like, I dragged you up from the gutter, girl. And then Marty comes in, he gets into get a roll. Someone throws an orange, a random orange goes flying. I know, I know. It's like, where the fuck did the orange come from? I had to remind him, so I'm like, got a fucking orange in there. Like, who's, who throws an orange? Honestly. <laughs> 
Shooting a bit in hot fuzz when they're in the middle of the supermarket. Fruit attack! There's people throwing fruit at them. Yeah, it's alright, Andy. It's bolognese. Well, fuck them. Anyway, so yeah, they were hoping for uh, Marty to be a resume, but no, they had to substitute in Tatanka. We are like, huh. Well, it wouldn't make sense for him to win the title yet. He's also undefeated, so how do we do this? What do they do? They do the worst possible thing. Let's do a count out. Yes. Where everyone was not happy. Yes. We did a count out. No one was impressed. No. 14 minutes 20. The one and only time Martin and Sean would face on pay per view. They would wrestle once or twice on TV, I'll say, the match later on the year, that, and they would wrestle while Sean was WF champion. That is not technically true. Not a match between each other, yeah. but we faced off briefly during the 96 Rumble. I mean, there's a one-on-one -on -one match. Ah. Yeah, that's what I meant. But no, we did we did do that, and we did emphasise it, like, all oh, former partners, and then we got to the point when Marty was hitting someone, mm -hmm. and Sean was hitting someone, uh -huh. and then we turned around and saw each other and went, oh, you again? Come ahead. Like, <laughs> you, <laughs> you prick. Uh -huh. Calling me an alky bastard, you can't, I'll take you on. Uh, so... Two, one decent opener, one very good match, so it told a decent, a really good story. Yeah. And Tyler didn't get to finish the story. Now, let's bring the crowd down a bit, <laughs> shall we? Let's, let's not get everyone too excited. Let's bring them down. A match that could have been good, but just wasn't. Uh, the big boss man against Bam Bam Bigelow. He's a big fiery. Bam, 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 And he's bam. kind of returned to the WF because he was in the... The company in the late, late 80s. Uh, he, was, he was a face, then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was like the last member of Hogan's team to be eliminated by Andre in the, the first ever Survivor Series. Mm -hmm. His last pay-per-view appearance for the company would be WrestleMania 4. He took part in the big tournament. He went over... He was a bit in WCW, but he was also very prominent in Japan. Won the tag titles in New Japan with, mm -hmm. uh, with Vader. He did, yes. They were like some sort of like... I think he was like Bam the Crusher and Big Van Vader or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I must say the one thing I did like about mm -hmm. this match, the opening of this match. Yeah. That's the most of the boss man's entrance music I've heard on a pay-per-view. <laughs> Great guitar solo. Yeah. I just I just love his his themes. One of my favourite themes of, of his era. You'll be facing hard times. <laughs> like he said he carries a big stick, a ball and chain too. We sometimes see him come out with a stick, never came out with a ball and chain. You better watch out, you'll be serving hard time. He carries a big stick, a ball and chain. Uh, Bobby, you know, by the way, great continuity. Still making jokes about, about Bossman's mum during the match as well. And it was you who told me that this was very much uh, the end of Bossman and the company for this. Yeah, that was, back that was his last match before he came back as Flat Jacket Man. Mm -hmm. Pro Proto Shield. Yes. He would go to WCW for a while as a couple of different games, including Bobber. Yeah, Big Bubba Roger. We saw him at Bash of the Beach in 1986 yeah. against uh, Big John Tenta Earthquake. Yeah. Was one, he John Tenta then or was he Shark or Avalanche? No, he or was what? just John Tenta. He'd been Avalanche and the Shark and everything, but now he's just John. What, what was that? Was that not some kind of stupid gimmick, something on a pole match? He had a sock full of like silver dollars on a pole. Oh, it was, I knew it was something. I knew we weren't exactly favourable on that and Some tip made it to it also. They had to send poor Jimmy Hart. Like a wee cat scurrying up a tree to grab it for him. I got it. I got tons of red. Oh God, no, you're not the guy I'm managing. <laughs> and it was that point where Jimmy had realised he was fucked. <laughs> but this match, uh, 
pretty much because they know that Bossman's on the way. It's like, ah, oh, Batman's a new big guy here. He's a big bruiser. We need to make him look as good as possible. We've basically done to Bossman what Impact done to Taya Valkyrie when she was on the way out. Pretty much, Made him yeah. look like a cunt. You know, Batman was meant to have a big match on uh, WrestleMania, but he got cut for time. He was meant to beat Kamala on that show. Was it a dark match at least? I don't know. I don't know. I think it was meant to be on the show. I had no idea. But then he does get a good show in later in the year right at King of the Ring where he goes up against Brett and that and squashes mm. poor Jim Duggan. Yeah, yeah. He was just getting rid of people from a previous era, wasn't he? He was going through Kamala, Bossman, Duggan. Duggan. Like, no one from the 80s is safe when Batman was around. No. Have you seen his head? No. Yeah. They even say, like, once they're like, what kind of sane individual would want to get his whole head tattooed? A bald man who's insecure about his lack of hair. Look, I may not have hair, but look at my tattoo. I have hair. Colourful hair. <laughs> we should maybe pick this up because this match isn't worth talking about and how long does it last? Uh, it lasts 10 minutes and 10 seconds really? which is about a good at least 5 minutes longer than it needs to be yeah because I mean boss man gets a teeny bit of offence and then bam bam like batters him in the kidneys a few times there's a really bad looking bump where boss man's belly hits out and he's back low his back smacks yeah, right off the apron yeah yeah that looked painful that one and he looked at face I don't think that was fully sell he looked like oh fuck I fucked my back yeah yeah that one looked painful like it was really good to be like boss man was being thrown about like a guy his side really shouldn't be because bad man's a big guy it makes him look good yeah. and then they chose to have him do very long bear hugs right in the middle and not even a progress boss man's sitting down bad man's got his arms behind him and just resting his big sweaty head on his back yeah like, it's a, it's a shit-looking bear hug, so... And it just goes on. Both men breaks out of it. Then it gets put down. And back in another bear hug. Like, whose idea was... I tuned out. It's yeah. even a point where, like, I tuned out, I tuned back in, and, like, how did Bam Bam get to the top rope? Oh, headbutt. Match is over. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'll be 100%. During this match, uh-huh. I checked my Facebook. So did I. I checked my Facebook, and I was I was watching them. I was lying back on the bed watching the match like that. I yeah. was looking at my phone, and then... Oh, he's on the top rope. Oh, flying headbutt. It's over. Oh, good, it's done. I was, that, was, that was my mindset. I was like, oh, good, it's done. Yeah, yeah, I, I was the same. I, be, I, I I don't even think I really looked up. I just waited. I knew the finish. I just waited till I heard the bam, bam. Because the non-rumble match portion of this show, other than this, is very strong. So this really is a big dance squad right in the middle it of the really show. It really is. It's, a, it's one of those ones. Maybe you should have had that first. Who would have thought, oh, Brett... Brett's, Brett and uh, Razor coming in next. Oh, we can't get the crowd to get me so the crowd aren't too tired. Send out Bam Bam and Boss Man. The, the way it should have been done, it should have been Bam Bam and Boss Man, yeah. Steiners and Beverly's, yeah. Sean and Marty, yeah, and then Brett. And then, because like, it would have been meh, 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 meh. <laughs> and then Rumble. And then Rumble. Yeah. You're building to a crescendo, <laughs> basically. Like, meh, 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 meh. Um, oh. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. oh. oh no, wait, wait. Nah, 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 nah. Bobby Heenan pervert on the narcissist. Nah, wrong. Caesar, randomly. Oh, what a wank biscuit. I <laughs> <laughs> seriously, what a bell end. Oh. Did, you, did you really need some tit? Yeah, randomly before the rumble. Why? Some Caesar impersonator and some woman claiming to be Cleopatra come out. And was basically, I am surprised, maybe because in this early 90s and the crowd fans aren't as cynical yet, but the crowd just are silent, whereas if it was a few years later, they'd be booing and shitting all of us. Oh, I heard a few boos. But there was a guy who basically, it wasn't 
hype in WrestleMania. It was an advert for Caesar's Palace, of it, as it's like the splendiferous, the magnificent. All he's missing was the stupendous <laughs> Caesar's Palace. They keep saying Caesar's Palace, the home of champions. And they had, I think they were, they had some sort of contract. I mean, they had to say that phrase a certain number of times because when Monsoon was hyping up the winner of the WWE match and the winner of the Rumble meeting at WrestleMania, meeting at Caesar's Palace, the Mania Nine, the home of champions. Like, you get some sort of bonus if you say that a certain number of times, you know, uh, Larry Monsoon. Literally, watch back the later portion of this pay per view. Take a drink every time they say the home of champions. Do you know what it's like? It's like they're really trying to make you buy tickets or buy the pay-per-view. It's like the Bernison thing. Buy it! <laughs> WrestleMania not... 9! Caesar's Palace! Buy it! It's not as, it's not as blatant advertising as the entirety of Survivor Series 1991 for Tuesday in Texas. But it's pretty bad. I'm not, I'm not going to speak even that much about Survivor Series 91 because it angers me. It angers me too. It angers me because of Hulk Hogan. Like, the Burt match ends, there's like an hour and a bit left of the baby. You thought, okay, an hour will be so team about the Rumble. So we got to fill time with Lex, and then this prick. And then they come back out later on. Mmm. Oh, dear. Uh, I talked about him anymore, I'm going to get annoyed. I've, I've talked about him once, I'll maybe talk about him again later. But I'm going to just go into the happier things, because this next match is we, very good. Are you, are you talking about the cunt? The, 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 the Caesar cunt, yes. Oh, that, oh that's funny. Aye. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the, the WFT on that, shall we? Imagine Give me we... one moment. <laughs> He's got his toothpick on. Hell yeah, we're talking about the bad guy, man. <laughs> so basically, quick summary, obviously, the fact that he took out... Yeah, uh, we, we, get the, we get the little, the little bit before the match and we're talking about, like... We get Owen Hart sitting in a very <laughs> colourful shell suit. Yes. You know, this is before he was... The Rocket. Mm-hmm. Well, this is when he was the Rocket, but this is before he was, you know, mm-hmm. you know. I'm the best! Before he kicked Brett's leg out of his leg. That's a year on from this paper. Yeah, yeah. Was that Rumble 94 mm-hmm. happened? It's what's funny about that, that promo. You can see in his eyes he realises he fucked that up when he says it. Uh, and I kicked your leg out of your leg. Kicked your leg out of your leg, yeah. yeah. Fuck you. But no, like, you see Owen, and he's sitting there all, you know, like, yeah, I'm Brett's brother and all, and then big, and Scott Hall looked fucking jacked at this point, he looked really solid, really well put together, comes in and just lays him the fuck out, and then he's just sitting there, he's like, like, hey, Rock, hey, Rocket, your daddy teach you this one, man, and then he's like, your daddy teach you this one, huh? Can I just, huh? Can I just say, wait, Owen's not the tallest guy, maybe that's what held him back in some people's eyes, like, but he's sitting down, right? Scott Hall is towering six, over six, four, him. maybe, and he's coming at you from the front. How did you not see him coming? Yeah. How bad is your peripheral vision that you can't see this man, well, towering man, in, running towards you? In fairness, Owen was sitting, kind of stooped yeah. a little, and he was his eyes were focused on the guy that was talking to him. So maybe blindsided but, came off a little to the side. But even then, he was, he's walking in. Surely, given his size, some sort of shadow has to be cast over you. Yeah, like. But, Anywho, he comes in and he beats the piss out of him and taunts him and shit. He may have made a joke about Stu Hart in a promo, so then for Brett's like, oh, for me, it was about defending the time, but you made this personal. I just, I just liked it when he was throttling him, going, your daddy teach you this one, huh? Also, I rock it. I think Monsoon kind of ruined a wee pre-tape that they showed because he like, or I think it was Heenan, one of the two of them said about, he's got gold around his fingers and around his neck, but now tonight, he wants it around his waist. Then they show a pre-tape thing where he's in some skybox at a basketball game in the same venue the night before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, tonight, I'm gonna, I got gold around my fingers 
around my neck. A hitman. hitman. I'm gonna have your gold, gold around my waist. That probably would have been good if one of the commentators didn't say that exact same sequence of words right mm. before you. I mean, you added your own little thing to it, but it was still. I just feel like you repeat exactly what they just fucking said. I always said it, but you know what? Razor Ramon said it, yeah. so it's cool. So then he comes out. Lovely red gear he's got on with that gold through it. Do you know? I don't know if it's because like because I'm used to seeing it on a tape. Yeah. I was so convinced the gear had more of an orange tint to it. Yeah. When it when it does, yeah. and I was like, huh. More usual colours I'm used to seeing, like some sort, usually some sort of purpley or black thing through his face fronts. Purpley, black, gold. Mm-hmm. But never, never. Maybe more green ones as well. Yeah, I think it was early, early on he experimented more colourful colours, but then he, he got his own faces, like a lot of purple, a lot of black and gold. Yeah. That would be his main thing while he was a face. Black, black and gold with bits of red through the razor. Yeah. And then, of course, you had the varying variations of white and black and black and red and the NWO days. Yeah. And then we got Brett doing a bench promo. Weirdly, they're right beside the gorilla position, which was a rare position for them to do interviews yeah. in the theatre. And I'll say this, I liked Brett's jacket. It looked like one of the old Heart Foundation jackets with a big... A big, a big fuzzy patch on it. Yeah, it was bright pink as well. Like yeah. A lot, 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 lot of like the pink and black. You know, this is mostly pink well, for Brett. Heard- this was early new gen Brett, yeah. and he was still kind of coming out to that shite entrance music, mm-hmm. and he was wearing full pink still. I think at yeah. that point, was he still wearing full pink at that point, there or was, pink and white? I think it was more so. There was more emphasis on the pink than the black and white. The black and white was in there, but there was a lot more pink. When was he wearing? Remember that time period when he was wearing the pink, and he was wear. I think the top part of his gear looked like kind of paint spattered. Yeah, that would have been later on, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think it's later on. But I still I, think that's in the in the early era. I still think so that's, just, I think it's interesting. I think he and Nightheart put pink on cause, as guys because back then it was seen like oh men wearing pink, so they were heels. They wore pink to get heat, and it's just a thing like huh, we like this good guard. It's become our look, so we're just keeping it. And Brett would keep it for years yeah. later. Well, when they debuted, they were blue and black. Yeah, but then they decided to yeah. change it that to make them uh, stand out a bit because yeah. nobody else was wearing pink, so. I think I remember a promo from back in the time period where they'd split or something or they'd went away and they came back and Brett went and said something like, pink and black attack is yeah. back. <laughs> also, what's interesting, like, he's very grilled and his music plays, they come backstage and uh, maybe I bet you'd be able to see because he goes to stop, walk out, a guy stops him, then comes in there, the guy tells him to go. Yeah. So he's got a guy telling him when he can go. Also, right in the background, when the guys were in there, that JJ Dillon sitting in the background, yeah. former manager of the Four Horsemen and long-time agent in the WWF and WCW. Mm. At one point, he was one of the frontrunners, supposedly, according to Bruce Pritchard. He was one of the frontrunners to run a lot of the day-to-day stuff with the company if Vince ended up going to jail on the steroid trail, oh. which is weird. But Vince would have still contributed via phone. Well, can, can you imagine Vince McMahon spending like half an hour on a prison phone with people like, I gotta call my family. Shut up. I need a contender for WrestleMania. Mm. Alright, talk to me again, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the match itself. Stu Hart in front row, looking as miserable as always. He looked quite alive, Len. <laughs> I hate I hate to be a colour commentator, but you know, he he, he actually looked alert. <laughs> uh, he was moving and everything. <laughs> yeah. And his lovely wife standing there like a like an old statue as usual, going. <laughs> Uh, I didn't want my life to be about wrestling. I now I'm trapped. Help me! Help! That's it's it's a hand signal for help. Help! <laughs> my whole family's in this shit now. Help! Yeah, 
what Brent does his usual thing, he has the glasses for a young kid, and then Razor grabs his toothpick and throws it at that yeah. same <laughs> And then Brent is going right at him, like, oh, fuck you, you fuck. Mm. Immediately tries to take out the legs of the bigger man, which was smart yeah. of, uh, of Brett. Uh, and then a spot I think we've seen before, but it was really cool to see where he gets Irish up so much that he slides out and goes rib first right into oh, the bottom no, of the pool. You didn't see him do that a lot, but it was always a really good, you mm. know, like, like I know I said, as much as I think Brett himself was a uh, prick, yeah. fantastic fucking ring technician. And great mentally in the ring because he knew he knew both how to work somebody and he knew how to sell. Uh-huh. You know, he was fantastic at that shit. Before that, though, when Brett's going to like all said he always going to go the sharpshooter and he didn't try to say, oh, that reason his legs are too tall for the sharpshooter. Yeah, yeah, like. But Brett does manage to lock in the figure four, which is interesting because they mentioned, oh, he's using Flair's move. He beat Flair for the title. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. And he's always been on a big run of title defenses, more than any champion before him to mm. that point. Yes, but. Be fair, like with compared to who else he's been fighting, Razor is a big better step up. You know, he's been fighting the Berserker, Papa Shango, Virgil. I mean, Sean was the biggest point point to that point. Yeah, because that was a title v title at Survivor Series. But uh, like you say, those that level of competition, like the Berserker, Papa Shango, only Virgil, Mm -hmm. and the only one many legitimacy out of the three is you know. Pop Shango. Yeah. And that's only because you know that himself, like yeah. Charles Wright, is yeah. really good. He goes right into, right after, but as soon as that post spot happens, he's going right into the ribs, being a bigger mm. man. He's like getting a big abdominal stretch out. Yeah, I love the parts during the match as well, where he's got him stretched and he keeps <laughs> pummeling the yeah. ribs. He keeps like, mm-hmm. like I, I always loved that because he knew how to both stretch and cause pain while stretching. You forget, like, how big a guy Scott Hall can be sometimes and sometimes like when he was doing his face when we reviewed matches it's weird to see him be the guy selling given how big he is sometimes mm. but now it's good to see him now being a big bruiser on offense beating down the baby face yeah uh, and then he does a bear hug at one point but they somehow make it look better given the story of the match than the bloody bear hugs they did in the match prior where well, they're just boring once again that is due to the fact that A Scott Hall was a really great fucking wrestler uh huh and so was Brett. Brett knew how to fucking sell properly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And a lot of the time, that's what it takes. Like, I mean, you look at like, nine, ten, nine, res- nine out of ten wrestlers, right? Or nine out of ten matches. Yeah. Neither guy knows, like, how to either put it on or how to sell right. It's usually, like, you say, like, the Bam Bam thing. Yeah. You know, like, he will just lean his sweatiness on the man for a bit. Yeah. But when you've got two wrestlers that are technically fucking sound in the mind... Mm-hmm. They know how to make it look painful. Yeah. Which uh, is good. Especially given the story, like, that Brett's ribs are fucked, because then, like, if you've got legitimately sore ribs, everything you pretty much do, and any spot you take that lands you, which I'm as most do yeah, on your back, gonna, it's, it's going to hurt. hurt. Your breathing's going to hurt. And so if a guy that's got a whole size, you're about 250 pounds, is squeezing you as hard as he can, that's going to yeah. hurt. And they even tease that Brett might pass it. They do the whole, the three-arm spot. Yeah. The shot, but Brett gets his arm hot in the third time. You've seen that. I've seen, it, I've seen it enough times. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I don't think I could even count on one hand, like <laughs> because there's not enough times. Mm-hmm. The amount of times I've actually seen that legitimately work, you know, like the, mm-hmm. uh, and then it, the arm dropping for the third time. You know, yeah, what I mean? you almost, have you ever seen it? 
No, usually when they, when they when they do a spot where someone actually passes it, they don't even do the arm. They do the one arm, and that's it. They're done. Yeah, so, I mean, you can tell. So yeah, we do it, like a, a long yeah. hole from the f- one arm, and we go, "Oh no, they're fucked." Like if they do it more than once, you know that person's gonna get up at some point. But another wee bit where Brett looks like he's finally got a bit of rapport, where he's got a sunset. Yeah. Like, as soon as as Razor kicks out, he's right back up before Brett. So it's like Brett's ribs he can't move as fast, and immediately he stomps him right yeah, back yeah. in the ribs again, <laughs> stop him from getting back up. Fucking sneaky bad guy. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't think like Razor's bad guy like yeah. heel run yeah. lasted long enough. Mm. I really don't. Yeah. I think, I think if it lasted longer, it would have got another title shot. I think it was the charisma of, of Scott Hall at the time. It was just too cool it to be a bad guy. Cool. And then they kept like switching around they had a heel champions with the belt long enough for him to go. Yeah, then maybe they didn't want to do face v face because like you think about it, it's when he's faced Yoko's the champion, but they've already got stuck, like setting plans for him, who his challenges are going to be. Then mm. Brett's the champion, he's a face. Then Diesel's champion, and they make the mistake of him being a face. Because <laughs> if they'd made Diesel a heel, then maybe Face Razor would have got a shot against them. Maybe, yeah. And then by that, by 96 coming around, he's basically up on like, ah, sadly, they're not giving me a shot. I'm off to make more money yeah. elsewhere. I can't even get in the fucking rumble, for fuck's sake. Mm. Was, was he ever a world champ in WCW? Mm mm. So he so, never was a world champion. No. He, he's someone else you can definitely put up there as the best to never hold the world title. Well, do you know what? I'll tell you something. Mm-hmm. The next the next time I play a WWE game, mm-hmm. he'll be the champion, <laughs> goddammit. We've uh, got a spot where, let's say, they add what Brett loves to do, that big spot right into the corner, but he goes starting on first. Basically with the story of his red red like, poof. Mm. That really look good. And you know something else? See if we could have put the proper version of Lex Luger in the fucking game. Yeah. The narcissist. <laughs> he would have been the champion too. But they didn't. They put the shitty WCW version of him in the fucking game with his crap music. And of course this is where Brett begins. You know, he's big. He's come back. He's made moves. Pushing leg sweep. Elbow. Yeah. One point he goes for the elbow. Or gets a big long boot from yeah. on his face. <laughs> At least Brett looked like he was actually going for the move as opposed to the other time we will do that. They just go, nah. No. <laughs> like the flying nothing. Like they're not even attempting how, to move. How do we go? Yeah. <laughs> they're not even looking like they're attempting to move. They're, they're, they're yeah, actually yeah. up there to do it. Whereas Brett actually looks like he's going to do the elbow. Goes up. He goes up on the turnbuckle and then goes. Yeah. Does he? Does he say bulldog? Apologies. It's very funny. And then Razor. Uh, gets finally it looks like they're going to get him in the sharps here. He's scrambling and scrambling. Nah, he, because he's so fucking long, yeah. he just stretches out to the mid, the bottom rope. Uh, like he, he sells the desperation of like I don't want to be caught in the sharps. Like, oh no, fuck! Like, fuck! I ain't getting put in that. And then even when he just rolls over and basically causes the ref to stumble over Brett, mm. so, like he's taking any length to get out of this move. Yeah. Uh, there is a point where he goes for the the razor's edge and he, like, he does the big sell of it. Like the big, uh, yeah, and the crowd weirdly, it's, it's weird for me to see him do that and no one cheer like because he's the heel now. He does this big symbol for the, the razor's edge and it's uh, big loud boo. And then he, I wasn't he booing. Uh, <laughs> I was saying boo words. <laughs> he goes up the razor's edge and Brett flips out of it. Sunset flip and there's also a point where Brett's down and he kind of manages to get his arms around, yeah. around into a roll up which he kicks out of. But they both fly there. And similar to what he did to build up back at SummerSlam 92, as on the mat, he can tie the legs room while they're both lying down mm. in front of the mat, up into the sharpshooter. 
And like you said, the reason he was so strong because he knew as soon as he was in the move, he'd have to tap out or give up. And so what does he do? Literally, as soon as he turns around, Bruce's like, no, I want out. No, I give up, I give up. <sighs> 17 minutes 52 this went. 17 minutes 52 and the highest, the highest level of Scott Hall's WWF career. He even feels like a step down when he goes up to Mania 9. He's fighting fucking Bob Backlund at Mania 9. I know, I know, I know. And that's nothing on Bob Backlund. Yes. There's nothing on Bob Backlund. It's just, it's just seeing a singles match situation, putting a guy of mm-hmm. Backlund's era mm-hmm. against a guy of Razor's era. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, it just didn't work. Uh-huh. You know, it just didn't work. So, there we go, big... Uh, when Fruber are sadly, yeah, uh, Wizard uh, went down for the belt again. No, four uh, four time IC champion, but <sighs> yeah, I mean he never never even was in a rumble, mm-hmm. which is insane. Uh, so we ne- we never had him in a rumble, I think, because to be quite honest, if he'd have won a rumble, mm-hmm. we'd have had to give him a title shot. Yeah, and I don't think for whatever reason mm. we wanted to give him one, and I, I I question that logic to this day. I often like don't like people doing double duty sometimes in the rumble match. Like if you're on the end of card, I don't like always like them being in the rumble as well. But if anyone got if anyone was going to get that opportunity. I don't know why they never thought about putting them in the both the undercard and in the rumble match itself. Mm. It's a shame. I mean, maybe ninety five they didn't put him in because obviously part of it was he was meant to have an injured knee during the match against Jarrett Weaver. But, you know, but we'll move on. Before we can get to the Royal Rumble match itself, we need to talk about the unveiling mm. of Narcissus. <laughs> because the unveiling. And it was it was actually not the official unveiling mm. or the debut, because he debuted in a segment in Mania 8. He had, yeah. Because he was where he's sit, standing there in his big gold gym vest <laughs> with his glass of milk. Yes, with all his supplements in mm. it. <laughs> yeah, because he was signed in 92... To be part of the World Bodybuilding Federation. The WBF, which lasted about as long as the XFL or whatever it was. Yeah, but then Luger got into a motorcycle accident, which when they talk about his elbow having a metal plate in it, it's legit he had to get a plate yeah. in his elbow. And by the time he was medically fit to come back, the WBF was just... Yeah. It was gone. It was done. It was never going to last anyway, but weirdly both... Weirdly suited for Luger because it was basically a bunch of guys just going... Oh, look at look at my muscles. Ooh, yeah. My lack of personality. Luger had personality. Did he though? Yeah. Is flexing a personality? And in the new gen era it was. <laughs> oh wait, no, in the golden era it was. Yeah. I flexed my muscles, which was the style at the time. It was, I mean I know I know a lot of it was, you know, chemically induced. He a big hustle, he was. Literally, as soon as like, the breath music plays and like, he's got he's running go with the sharpshooter, Aiden's high-tailed it from the corner. No, he was like, right, well, my just done, I'm going to go look at him. And so they're debuting out, and uh, Bobby Heenan had been hyping up the debut of Narcissus, you know, someone who's better than perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> that was his first feud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would, they have the match at WrestleMania 9, and yeah. he reveals him, like, the perfect specimen, the Narcissus Lex Luger. And it's it just Luger with a big robe on, eventually gets, he takes him, like, yes, please let me take off this robe for you. You are in love with yourself, and you have every right to. That's, that is the Hasbro figure I have in my collection as the narcissist. And you know how good buddy Bobby Heenan is here, where I've heard tale that maybe these two don't even like each other. Yeah. Behind the scenes, but 
and he didn't even find out that Bobby Heen was going to be his manager till the day of the show. Like, and even though their association didn't last very long, but still, like, he's all hiding. I'm like, oh, look at him. He's spe- like, Vince McMahon is speaking through him, like, yeah. look at you, look at those muscles, look at those legs. <laughs> they're trying to cut, they're looking in the crowd, trying to find women who might be perving it. Like, we found the three bobs with too much it. hairspray on. Yes. You know, who was standing there going, yeah, too much hairspray, which was the style at the time. And then they they have they make decisions. Let's have Lex talk. <laughs> hey, I liked it. <laughs> Let us hear your velvety tones. Like, like yeah. his tones are not velvety at all. No, he just shouts a lot. Yeah, I'll be here. I am. I am the perfect specimen. And obviously, I didn't take know what he said. He said something with Mr. Perfect. I wasn't listening. It, but I I liked watching them flex. Of course, you did. I did very much so. <laughs> And then the curtain comes down, he's like, please, just show me a little bit more. Just a little more, please. Bobby Heenan go, let me touch your ass, God, let me feel something. He gets on his knees as he's saying it, and then the curtain comes down. And Bobby Heenan, last we saw Bobby Heenan, he was on his knees, and then a curtain came down. What happened in the curtain is between two consenting adults. Yes, yes, indeed it is. <laughs> we, we will not judge. There is no judgment here, Bobby Heenan. No, you, you do you, sir. Anyway. After the prick Caesar then shows up. We have, <laughs> that prick Caesar. We don't even get to have our usual like parade of wrestling rumbles. Like, Tonight, 29 other guys. I'm going to throw them all the time. Do you know what we didn't get in this rumble now? Mm. The thing that I liked for the earlier rumbles, you know. In this rumble, we're going to have this guy and this guy and this guy. None of them are going to win, but we're going to be there. Yeah. Then get the like we got the previous year the big throaty Disney Man promo. Now we have superstars. The Undertaker. Yokozuna. The Texas Tornado. Nasty Boy Brian Nobbs. Ledger World Champion Ric Flair. (laughs) The Repo Man. Have to get the name out in uh, a short amount of time. He's got so much. He's got a big line about Flair being Mm. Ledger World Champion Ric Flair. (laughs) (laughs) Then you got guys two names are too short. Like you find the Repo Man. The Berserker. Haku The Earthquake <laughs> Anyway <laughs> Weirdly only one person gets an entrance music It's meant to be either meant to be either the first two come out get an entrance music no one else does and then the winner's entrance music played. The first guy comes out is Ric Flair and they're saying even though Monson tried to say oh there's no way needed here remember number two will be uh, at the end which I think is meant to hype the fact that number two ends up being our Iron Man here. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, to say that about Flair, who last year went the distance at number three, and the only difference this year is an extra two minutes for him. Yeah. But, so it's weird for him to say that. And then number two comes out, it's Bob Backlund, who has this weird thing because of the area he was from. He didn't have an entrance music. No, he just came out. And then, the, when the winner wins later on, they don't even play his music, they play the big trumpety Caesar-ish music. So, the only person really to get music in this rumble, their own music, is Rick Flair. Yeah. 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 Which is cool, mm-hmm. you know, but like we say, we get we get Ric Flair, we get Bob Backlund, and right. then I believe after we get a nasty boy. Now, I'll go, I'll go, I'll do the strategy that we did uh, for the last one. Yeah. I'll go through. I'll read the five entrants, and then we'll talk about any notable spots they did, and then we'll go to the next five and next five. But... I'll be honest, a lot of the time last rumble, once the key players got in, yeah, you know, I was kind of like, oh, there's another guy. Oh, there's a guy I kind of recognise. So it starts though the first two minutes are between the first two, which are Bob Backlund and Rick Flair. Flair. 
Number three is Pop Shango. Oh, Pop Shango. Number four is Teddy Biasi. And then we get Nasty Boy in at number five. Brian Nobbs. That's the uh, the brown haired one, right? The blonde one. I used to think it was the the brown haired one was Brian Nobbs, but no, it turns out the blonde haired one's Brian Nobbs. Jerry Sags is our one. Yes. Jerry Sags was on Man V Food one time. Yeah, you told me that. But yeah, I didn't mind the back and forth between it. It was interesting to see, you know, one of the second longest reigning WAF champion of all time uh, after Bruno going up against the man who was the guy in the NWA. Yeah. So interesting little match they had here. <laughs> Where with Bobby Heen, as I said, basically calling him old for being 43, despite the fact Flair wasn't much older if, than him. If the bloodline have anything to do with that back when we'll shortly be the third longest yeah. reigning world champion. He shouldn't even be the second longest champion because he's technically lost it and what to Antonio he then got it back. So it's two separate reigns. Yeah. But we're not allowed to know about Antonio's reign. No. We're allowed to know about that as much as we know about the Rockers tag title one. Or about, or as much as we were meant to know about Bob Polly winning the IC title that one time. Did he? With that TV taping, but the, the, basically the trace, then the vision was reversed. Jada won it back, so basically it was a case of the IC title trace, Jada, vacant, Jada again. The middle bit is Bob Polly winning at a TV taping. When we're supposed to know about it as much as we're supposed to know about Savio Vega winning the IC title. Yes. It's, look at how 90s new gen this was. The Bob Holly thing happened on an episode of Action Zone. Ever remember Action Zone? I really don't. See, not even you remember Action Zone. I no. figured you wouldn't remember Action Zone. No, I mean, I remember Shotgun. No. I remember all of all the little shows of those eras. I remember Superstars. I remember Shotgun. Mm -hmm. I remember Velocity. I remember Heat. I remember WWF Metal. Oh, Jesus. Was that was it was action zone somewhere in the same stakes as metal? Somewhat, yeah. The only other notable thing on an episode of Action Zone was like one of the early episodes that had like what was called as the click match, I think it's Razor and Kid against Sean and Diesel. Yeah. In like ninety four. Whatever what lasted longer, right? Because I've I've heard of metal, I hadn't heard of Action Zone. What the fuck lasted longer? I would have to look that up. Uh even you don't know. I, mean, I don't know that. Anyway, so these two get into uh uh, Papa Shango comes in, like, Papa Island does, do that little, oh, he's going to go out? No, he's not going to go out. Yeah. But Shango comes in, he helps Ric Flair, because Ric Flair is begging off Backlund at that point. Shango yeah, helps Flair. That. And despite that, he's trying to get Backlund out, despite helping Flair. Flair then grabs Papa Shango and yanks him yeah, out. Yeah, yanks him out. And then he said, oh, Flair helped Backlund get rid of Papa Shango. They're like, Backlund did fuck all, it was Flair who did all the work. Backlund just lay there, <laughs> clinging onto the rope like a fucking gimp. Uh, Teddy Biasi then comes out along with Jimmy Hart he mentions him as one half of the tag team champions mm -hmm. and so he and uh, Teddy Biasi actually worked together and this was Biasi in his last run as last, well for last ever rumble yeah because he would he would be retired by the end of that year would mm -hmm. he not yeah by the end of that year yeah and he, after this after the match with Razor he'd do some house shows but yeah. and some shows in Japan but by then by the 94 when he comes to do the rumble with McMahon as like commentary, yeah. he's, he's done, and he's, he's like it was his back, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. He had a, he had a Sean issue. He had, he had a lot of injuries, and then plus he had personal stuff, so he basically wanted to get off the road for a while, and then he soon realised that oh, he was done as a ring ring guy, so he came back in a primarily non wrestling role, yeah, like a commentary slash managerial role. Yeah, because also we know he's running like the Million Dollar Corporation, and then yeah. becoming his trillionaire Ted for the NWO. <sighs> what a what a great corporation that was. Who was in the Million Dollar Corporation? King Kong Bundy, IRS, who could still actually wrestle. Tatanka. Tatanka. Kamen Mustafa. Kamen Mustafa. Sid. The kid. <laughs> One, two, three kids. Sid and the kid. Uh, 
Riderly Nikolai Volkov. Nikolai Volkov. Only, could, only, only so Terry could mock him and instead of putting the dollars on, you put like a cent sign on his gear. <laughs> Uh, then Brian Nobbs comes out and he's weirdly a face now because the Nazi boy is similar to what happened to the natural disasters a year ago yeah. Jimmy Hart has betrayed them and sold yeah. the contract for a tag title up to the, the money ink so now the Nazi boys are faces I remember that which is weird I was alright with the Nasty boys being faces I always liked the Nasties hmm. he does his weird petty thing to daily that's where he big sweaty arm what, 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 what would if you had to be in a Royal Rumble and Vinnie Mac came up to you and said to you, you've got to do one of these spots. If you had to choose between a nasty boy armpit and a stink face, I'd, I'd take the armpit. I'd take the stink face, if I'm honest with you. I'd take the fucking armpit. You've at least got a bit of his weird thong thing in the middle to hopefully protect you from anything happening where there's no protection, it's just pure armpit and sweat right in your face. No, I'd take the armpit. I'd, I'd much rather have a sweaty pit than a sweaty crevasse. Yeah, plus, I've heard the like Rikishi like Leitchi and everything. He morphed and he took care of his ass and everything. He didn't. He made sure you were taken care of in that move. Made sure it smelled of roses. Like much like Yoko, if Yoko Leitchi, the him doing the bonsai like a cloud landing on you, where if, if he didn't know you, if you were just some jobber. <laughs> yeah, seen his first match against the jobber, he killed that man. Yeah. I'm legitimate. He killed that man. <laughs> Nothing else much happens on that. Backlund's doing the big, you know, one, two. Yeah, yeah. In the corner. I've, even though Backlund was the, you know, the goat in this one for time, yeah. didn't really do a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, he was just, he was just like, he was like the kind of guy, like, you know, like in later rumbles, you see like that guy who is like obviously an upper mid guy, so they've got to make him look reasonably good. Yeah. So they keep him in, like they do a lot. Like Road Dog in his rumble, mm-hmm. you know, and he spent a lot of time Spider Monkey in the fucking bottom of the turnbuckle. Yeah. And shit. Or like Jerry Lawler in later rumbles when he would, you know, mm-hmm. hide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll go to the next t- five entrants. Number six is Jerry the King Lawler. No, no, number six is Virgil. Yeah, number six is Virgil. And do you know what? I didn't even see him coming in. Number seven is Jerry Lawler. Number eight, Max Smith. Yeah. Jerry Lawler in this rumble, I must say. I don't know if it's because he's just new yeah. to the WWF. Uh-huh. He does more in this rumble than he did in any sig- any subsequent rumble he's in. This is the most like role he has as a wrestler. Yeah, he's most wrestling. Yeah. He's very much like part, part wrestler, part on-screen guy. He, he moves more towards on-screen, but... We'll come back for the occasional match every yeah. so often. I liked his I liked his look. Well, yeah. his big kingly robe yeah. and the full the full gear, you know. Yeah. Eight maximum number nine, Genichio Tenry, I'll have more information on him in a second. I liked him. And number ten, Mr. Perfect. Now let's go through the other entrants in the order of their spot. Ridder comes in and obviously continuity wise goes right after Teddy Yeah, yeah. He's still not over the fact that he's not been as big as he was when Yeah. But when Perfect comes in, well, I loved Perfect coming in because he comes in and he comes bolting to the barrel into that ring. And he comes in and he just he throws the fucking towel and he comes in and he goes straight for Ric Flair. Uh-huh. Pounding, pounding, pounding. And I just, I loved the, like, the sequence of spots. Uh-huh. Comes in, down goes Rick, Like, hits him down, hits him down, few kicks. And then he, like, bounces off, does that classic Perfect thing, you know, like the... Oh, what the fuck? You know, that snap thing yeah. he does, like where he runs up behind him and does the snap neck thing, and he just. And if you notice, the Tenaru guy. Yeah. Whilst this whole sequence is going on, Tenaru's just getting to stand up to cycling. And he fell down. And he casually just walks around. The yeah, he, just, he just looks and he's like, oh, no, He casually looks around and looks for someone else to be up. You! 
Yeah, he's like, I'll leave you to your business. I'll go find someone else to hit. You, you obviously have business to deal with. Yeah, like it's weird because like at this time the crowd don't hear it, can't like immediately pop for an engine, so they have to wait until they can actually see. You. Yeah. It's kind of a if the crowd don't see you, or they just wait. You, the best sounds, oh, so and so, or they don't know you, i.e., Tenru. It's just who are you? Just mild apathy, unfortunately, <laughs> for Tenru. Or and then, but, but with someone like Perfect, as as more and more people know, as the Perfect's coming down and they know what's going to happen, it's a big rise. Yeah, level a big of rise. Because I think him, DiBiase, and Flair are the three biggest names in this early portion of the Rumble, yeah. first third of the Rumble. Virgil and Knobs, uh, they, they do a double team on DiBiase. Virgil is a knob. <laughs> Daryl Law comes in. Weirdly, despite being booed and everything, you think he would team up with Phil, heel Ric Flair, but no, he actually get into it a little bit. Yeah, he'll get into it. And like I say, Jerry Lawler does a good, <laughs> a good stint in this match. Max Moon actually gets offense in on Ric Flair. He I gets know. a big backdrop on Flair. But then very quickly goes for a spot in the corner on, on Lawler. Lawler just dunks him out. Yeah, I know, I know. Work. Like, fuck off you. <laughs> get to. Yeah. Let me tell you about Kenichio Tenru, shall I? Oh, do tell me about Tenru. Because I, I like to look at Tenru. Yeah. He actually had appeared in the WWE before. He and Koji Katao both wrestled in a tag team match at WrestleMania 7. Really? Defeating Demolition. This, this, at this point made up of Smash and Crush. Yeah. This is when Demolition were very much on their way out. That's because it had gone from Axe and Smash to Axe, Smash and Crush because Axe was ill. And then just Smash and Crush. Yeah. He, uh, he's a three-time All Japan uh, Triple Crown winner. He's a former IWGP heavyweight champion. He's won the tie champs and multiple times in both All Japan and New Japan. At one point, he won the titles in All Japan alongside Big Stan Hansen. Wow. He won uh, All Japan's uh, big singles tournament, the Champions Carnival, in 2001. He had multiple... Tokyo Sports is a big wrestling magazine in Japan. He won their Match of the Year uh, award multiple times. In 91, he won it for a match against Hulk Hogan. Wow. And a big joint show with the WF. In 93, against Keiji Muto, also the Great Mayor. He was also named the MVP in 1986, 1987, 1988, and this year, 1993. The uh, Wrestling Observer Match of the Year award he got, I guess, again, another match with a great meta, and was put into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame in 1996. So what you're basically telling me is, with WWF, as we tended to do in this early period, got an absolute legend of the game. Yes. And made him look like a nothing. Well, it's because no one knew who the fuck he was, and I doubt they even probably promoted who he was, but I do like the fact that being a big, being a Japanese wrestler, they're known for their hard-hitting strikes, that he got to have a bit of a chop-off with Flair. Yeah, 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 it sounded vicious. So, yeah, like you said, but then Perfect, as we already mentioned, Perfect comes in and... It goes uh, insane. Yeah, they're building up the fact that the main event of the Raw that follows this, it's already been taped, is a big Loser Leaves Town match, yeah, Flair the, versus Perfect. The main event of this... Next night's Raw will be Flair's last match. Mm-hmm. Although it's already happened, so Flair, te- so technically, this is his last televised match. <laughs> True. <laughs> he'd, he'd wrestle a few houses up until mid-February, and then as he's non-compete, while he's non-compete was still going on, he'd appear in WCW doing a non-wrestling role, hosting a chat show called A Flair for the Gold. <laughs> his first official match back would be in the late summer, teaming with Arn Anderson against the Hollywood Blondes of Flying Brian and Stunning Steve Austin. Nice. And by the end of the year at Starkey, because of St- Sid Stabianson, he would be put in Sid's place and win the WCW title from Vader. Nice. Weirdly, it's like, still, like, they're trying to make Raw seem unpredictable and live and everything. Sid Stabianson. Yes, that's the nicest way of putting it. Uh, also, this may be the new genre still, even though Raw is, I think, but they're trying to make Raw look all live and anything could happen. 
They even had Mr. Perfect get a bit of uh, colour during the match with Flair, which I think was yeah, surprising. Yeah. And really, I think because Flair is pretty much done because he realises that Vince isn't going to continue to book him as, as big as he did when he first brought him in. Like, Bobby Heenan seems more upset at the, op- the idea of, uh, of Flair leaving than yeah. Flair himself. But what <laughs> Flair... Like goes at it with the perfect, and Flair eventually gets some some respite where he pokes him in the yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah, twice. And for some reason, tries to do in the middle of a rumble match where you're, you can get thrown on the top rope to get eliminated. Tries to go to the top, yeah. and then perfect grabs him. He does. He no, 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 no. Oh, he gets thrown. <laughs> I think you can count on one hand. Maybe the amount of times that Flair went to the top rope that didn't end with him getting thrown off again by another wrestler. Yeah, it's it, Flair doing that is a lot like. What I always point out when a wrestler sets up a chair in the corner, mm-hmm. like whenever you set it up, you're going down. You know, any more, well, not when someone sets up a move like a set of chairs or a table, like or any sort of big move in a weapons based match. It's always yeah. the golden rule. More from that, he who sets it up will suffer it. <laughs> yeah, the next five entrants: Skinner, uh, the Alligator Man, Coco Beware. Samu. Did you did you not love Coco's entrance? He's like he's jumping all over. He's, he's coming out pulling his big clown trousers up. He's going, all right, I'm ready to go. Samu, the Berserker, and number fifteen, who we'll talk about a lot of when we get to him later on, the Undertaker. Us, us, us. Did I just say Samu? By the way, when I originally put my notes, it was only later on when I went back through to make sure I hadn't left anything out. I noticed that Samu, Samu, my phone had auto corrected it to Samuel. So imagine that as a team. Fatu and Samuel, the head shrinkers. Head shrinker Samuel. <laughs> Skinner comes in for some reason tries to help Flair grabs like Perfect's arms so Flair can shove him, but that doesn't last very long. And then Perfect eliminates Rick Flair, so Flair will not be going the uh, the distance this year. No, he and will Bobby not. Heenan is very upset. Yeah, I think Bobby Heenan is doing his usual thing, you know, no, no. He repeats no. the catchphrase from the year before, that's not fair to Flair. Uh. <laughs> Oh. Uh, but he, uh, Rowan Sin is not sympathetic whatsoever. No, like, there goes your meal not. ticket. Yeah, he's like, yeah, there goes your meal ticket. But uh, he said that neither of these two will be, like he said, neither him or Bagman would be at the end, but Bagman will go on to be in the final three, by the way. I know. The Iron I Man know. is here. And they, and they keep them saying, this impressive for 43 years old. Like, he's pretty much either just as just a few years or so older or a bit as old as Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles are right now. He's younger than. Sting and Jericho, and they're still going in AEW. Can I, can I please just make a point, though? What? Well, who did you say? Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles? Yeah, they're in their early 40s. You, you look at AJ. Yeah. And you look at Bobby. Mm-hmm. And you look at Bob. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You know, yeah. you know old, old man in these pants. <laughs> That's what he looks like. He's like old man in his pants. AJ Styles and Bobby look like muscular athletes. Legit, like when, I, when Coco and Sam, Samu came out, I just put number 12, Coco beware. Number 13, Samu, like literally nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, but number 14, the Berserker, that's when stuff then started happening. Yeah. Uh, Perfect gets another couple of nations, eliminates Skinner, which I almost missed, and then he eliminates the King. May I? May I? He eliminates the King, as you say, he just. And he does it in. The sort of comical king way, he just grabs him and tosses him and kicks him, oh, <laughs> over he goes, right? Not quite as comical as when Bret Hart uppercut him at the next <laughs> yeah. oh, It takes a king to know a king, McMahon. <laughs> That's why he shouldn't even be in the WWF, he's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, mm-hmm. like I say, perfect, tosses him out, mm-hmm. 
gets chucked, and then I think who is it that goes for perfect? Uh, DBRC. Yeah, DBRC goes to throw perfect out, and then perfect goes over. He's on the apron. Mm-hmm. DBRC is ganging up on him. Coco's ganging up. Like, why does Coco of all people want to? Uh, well, I, th- I think it's just that rumble thing. Yeah. Like you know, when you see a guy who's almost out, you think one more guy out means yeah. more likely I'll still be in. <laughs> but this is when we see the petty, the sort of petty <laughs> heelness of yeah. Jerry Lawler, like. Oh, fuck you, you put me out, so. Mm. <sighs> Fucking referees. You know what I mean? Yeah. Perfect's clinging on. Yeah. Clinging on, and he's getting fucking... He's getting beat down by DBRC. Yeah. He's getting, like, push-kicked yeah. by Coco. Yeah. A fucking sore loser bitch king, Jerry Lawler, goes over, he's yanking it. Perfect. He's got him around the waist, yeah. yanking at his fingers, and mm-hmm. I think DBRC's kind of hitting him in yeah. the knuckles and shit. All these security come up, all these referees, and what is it, like seven or eight of them or something, all yeah. fucking crowding around. You can't get rid of Jerry Lawler. You can't make him move. <laughs> and eventually, fucking, you know, as, as the inevitable would be, you know, Perfect gets mm-hmm. knocked out. And he gets up and rightly so smacks Jerry Lawler in the face. <laughs> I'm kind of sad with Perfect in that, also he has the match with Narcissus and everything, but he doesn't win it. Then he loses to Sean at SummerSlam. Like, I think it would have been nice if they could have convinced Flair to stick around in Mania and do the least least time match at WrestleMania. Yeah, give a per- perfect a good match. That would have been perfect. Not pardon the pun, but that would have been perfect for him. Yeah, but, I, w- I would have liked to have seen in that period as well, perfect m- maybe getting at least one mid-IC run. Mm-hmm, but it would have been nice to see. Yeah, maybe a long, more long-form programme with him and, and Sean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was nice, like, in, in O2, where I think he was one of the final four yeah. in the O2 Rumble. That was cool. Mm-hmm. And he got a massive pop when he came out from that Rumble. This, this Rumble elimination for him is probably the most realistic one I've ever seen, with him clinging on for D-Live while everyone's kicking him. The official records will say Jerry Lawler, Teddy Biasi, and Coco Beware combine their forces uh, to eliminate Ric Flair. I believe Mr. Perfect. Sorry. I believe that Royal Rumble in elimination is a great, a great example, a great descriptive uh-huh. of Kurt Kurt Henning's WWF career. <laughs> like no, no, let me be in the main no. event. No, he's he's always clinging on. He's working his ass off, but he's always getting dragged down. Mm-hmm. That is a great description of his career. He's always getting fucked <laughs> when he doesn't deserve to be getting fucked. Uh, randomly, the Berserker, who again, they're claiming, oh, he can throw people on the top rope, this will be his match. Yeah. No. He randomly drags <laughs> Backlund to the outside through the through the ropes and just starts randomly hitting him with a chair for maybe so that Bob Backlund can get a break because he's going to be in here for a no, long while. That'll do him. Give him a beating with a chair. <laughs> so, yeah, but then the, the ring's pretty much filling up for this mid portion of Rumble. That means. Time to clear everybody out. Here comes the Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> Quickly eliminates <sighs> Samu. DBS eliminates Coco Beware. Like, that's yeah. why I think you helped me for Mr. Perfect. Fuck yeah, off. Fuck off. Tenru tries to have a goal, but is quickly dispatched of. Uh, DBS, they go after the uh, Undertaker, but gets yeah. a chokeslam. Yeah. Both, both DBS and the Berserker quickly eliminated. Uh, yeah. but, actually, not, but not before DBS eliminates number 16, which is Terry Taylor. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah I forgot about him. The, the Red Rooster. Most people forget about him, yeah. <laughs> but I always remember his stupid haircut, though. But yeah, Undertaker's pretty much clearing house, uh, basically. Undertaker has done that portion of the rumble, like, oh, look, big cunt comes in. So it's everyone out. Looks pre- powerful. Yeah, pretty much majority of like the early to mid portion of the rumble are all gone by the Undertaker, so fair play to him. 
But then, some big fucker shows up with lumbering prick to this the ring. big lumbering Argentinian <clears throat> basketball player mm-hmm. in a Yeti costume mm-hmm. led down to the ring by Dr. Harvey Whippleman. First, first off, a, a brief run in WCW where, can you guess what he was called in WCW? The Giant. Close. El Gigante. <laughs> Wonder what that means. Alright. See, we already had the Giant, so, ah, ah, we'll just call him Argentinian Giant. El Gigante. <laughs> but, you know, as and I've, I've, every kind of wrestling interview I've watched, mm-hmm. nobody could say anything unpleasant about that man. He was apparently a really, really nice man, and you know, R.I.P. Big, Big John Gonzalez. I don't remember what your name is, mm-hmm. but R.I.P. him. But apparently, he was a very, very nice man. Mm. But he was not a very, very good wrestler. That's pretty nicely. Who's more immobile? Do you think him or the Great Cali? Him. Him. Yeah, definitely. I, b- I believe although Cali was a smite immobile, he could at least wrestle a bit. And he was, come on, he was a former fucking policeman. He was a yeah. big ass. He found the one man who can make Great Cali look like Ric Flair. <laughs> by, just by comparison. That's harsh, man. And it did, it did lead to one of the most god-awful matches of The Undertaker's streak. One of the most god-awful matches of WrestleMania just ever, in yeah. my opinion. I can't wrestle, so I'm going to chloroform you. Fair enough, you want to win by DQ, the DQ thing to keep, for God knows what reason, to keep this big monster strong, but... Of all the ways you can think to cause a disqualification, how does your mind go to chloroform? Yeah. When this when this is meant to be the family friendly era of the company. I will say though. I will say. This sort of debut of him. Uh-huh. And I don't know how many matches he had in the WWF. I don't believe it was more than maybe two or three. This is like his official debut. Like, like they don't even give him a name at this point. Like who is that or what is yeah. that? But he comes in and I think in ring wise, mm-hmm. this bit is the best he's going to look during his entire run. What a damning indictment that is, because yeah. this beatdown is slow oh, as fuck. Slow and lumbering, and you think, my god, The Undertaker is a big, agile, mm-hmm. vicious motherfucker. How can he not just beat this silly big shit down? But it's not just the beatdown, he steps in, he takes a big step out. Arr! And Andrew takes a step forward. <laughs> what does it do? Andrew here takes a big step forward. And then back again, Zella takes a step forward. And they're taking a Like, it's so long that the next two entrants come out and they just have to wait around the outside for these two to finish. The only thing that's kind of striking mm-hmm. is see only go toe to toe, I'll say, because they ain't going nose to nose. No, 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 no. When we go toe to toe. They're going forehead to chest. Yeah, when we go toe to toe, I've never in my life seen the Undertaker look so goddamn small. Mm-hmm. He stands up and he looks like a little girl looking up at her fucking daddy, you know what I mean? He's like... A series of, like, lumbering chops. They just manages to knock them to get over the top rope and somehow that counts as an elimination. Despite the fact Gonzalez is an official entrant in the Rumble match. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> that, that annoys me. But don't, don't, let it, don't let it rile you, Scott. Otherwise my head will explode. Yes, don't let it rile you. But then... He's, yeah, he's not done. He beats him down slowly from the outside and then just quick, slowly grabs his leg, pulls him towards the, the terminal and he goes, no, just slowly just slams his leg into the, the ring pole until Robert can revive him. But the power of the urn, as he keeps saying. Yeah. 
And he comes down to the side of the ring, squeaking and goes, Oh, Undertaker, power! And then the Undertaker gets up, mm-hmm. looks and all drowsy because he's been given a beating. Uh-huh, a beating. You know, and he, he stumbles back, looking all pissed off. With the look in his face, I can't believe I had to sell that shit. I know. Like, that was the genuine look in Mark Calloway's face. He was like, I can't even believe we thought this shit would work. Like the motivation for like Harvey Oakland being his match is because like, Taker beat uh, Kamala. Kamala at so, and yeah. he felt like Kamala, you know, he dropped Kamala he thought, you're weak now, like, you're just too scared of everything. So Kamala would begin a weird forgotten face from with Slick as his manager for a while. I remember that. Uh, well, uh, Harvey was wanting to get his revenge on the Taker by bringing in an even more mobile giant. In the fucking get giant guns out of the big hairy thing. Hey, Kamala was an in ring genius compared to fucking giant Gonzalez, and Kamala was a good wrestler. Yeah. You know, Kamala was a good wrestler, and I liked Kamala. So then that that thing, you know, there's a story Taker tells in an interview. It may have been with Austin. But he said like, I remember seeing when I remember seeing Yokozuna when he first came in. He was still fairly agile. Like, I said to Vince, you know, please let me work with this guy. Let me work with Molly still. Well, I can still move. And Vince kind of took it like, don't worry, pal. You'll work with him eventually. Let me let me tell you about your WrestleMania opponent. And he showed me Giant Gonzalez. And just it, he just gives off the impression like he was definitely not best pleased when he found out he was wrestling. This is in the dark period of Freak of the Week versus The Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. Who did we get? Like, like fucking Giant Gonzalez. Kamala. Kamala. Bundy. Bundy. Himself, Jesus technically. By himself. Eventually fought Yoko, but Yoko was clearly piling on the weight by 94. Yeah, but that was at the end. Of, that was when he had lost his title. That's when he was piling on the weight for the turkey butts. <laughs> that was probably the most insane story I heard about Yoko. Like, whenever, like, Undertaker was having like, a barbecue or a cook mm-hmm. he would have all these fucking turkey butts set mm-hmm. aside. Because apparently, like Big Yoko was really into these things. He loved turkey butts, and apparently, he would just dunk them in mail. Jesus, yeah, I mean, he would just dunk these things in mail mm-hmm. and just eat them. And, Jesus, like, he, lo- he loved trap shooting too. I'm, I'm gonna read out literally every entrant up until the entrant where the guy who wins it comes out because literally up until he comes out. There was a massive lull period in this Rumble match. Oh, nobody's. Let me go through. 16, Damien... No, no, that's... 17, no. Damien Demento. Number 18, IRS. Number 19... Hey, IRS is good. Number 19, Tatanka. Number 20, Jerry Sags. Number 21, Typhoon. Yep. Number 22, Fatu. Number 23, Earthquake. Number 24, uh, Carlos Colon. Number 25, Steel Santana. And number 25, Rick... Number 26, Rick Martel. So let's talk about what those guys did I mean, until the winner comes out because no. it feels like... They basically try to fill the ring back up before the next big guy comes in and throw a bunch of people out. The only interesting thing we get happen during this period, I think, anyway, is that weird, li- you know, that weird little thing between the natural disasters. Yeah, what where like, well, I think it it might have just been a case of like, you know, every man from themselves, and they just had it, they had to go. But like Typhoon goes in there or Buffoon as uh, Bobby Ian gets going, but like literally almost as soon as Earthquake get Earthquake gets in, he and Typhoon turn each other like. You're two of the biggest guys in the match at this why, one point. Why don't you team up? Yeah, maybe. Because Earthquake does have a really good sequence with Yoko later But maybe if you had your partner there, maybe the two of you could eliminate Yoko together. Mm, mm. So no, it, 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 is, them, it is it makes dumb. Them, it makes them look like fuds, to be honest with you. Yeah, it is dumb. Because, you like you say, every rumble before that and every rumble subsequently, yeah. when a team comes in, unless they're planning to have any kind of programme between the team members, yeah. the team teams up. 
Like, and someone else eliminates them separately. Like demolition, they fought each other back because they had to because they were the first two. But then they team up, and then like when the when the mat when the mega powers when they rumble, they had one accidentally eliminate the other because they were building to a story. Yeah. And WrestleMania between the two, but this led to nothing. I think, I think Earthquake sticks around for a little while, but Typhoon is pretty much gone very soon after this. Yeah. I think this is '93 is the year that he becomes the Shock Master. I think he would prefer if you didn't talk about that. Big Fred Alton. Mm. By the way, when Damon Demendra and Iris finally get in the ring, Bob Backlund finally crawls himself back in after getting by the Berserker, and then the two of them just start beating him down yeah. before Big Tatanka makes the save. So he was still undefeated by this point, Tatanka. Yeah. Oh, like how they're protecting his undefeated streak by with Sean, like, oh no, we can't have Sean Michaels, the guy holding our second most important belt, defeat end his undefeated streak. We're, we're saving that honour for a much bigger star, like Ludwig Borga. Ludwig Borga. When he beat Tatanka, by the way, I think there was some interference because they were maybe on separate sides of a Surprise's match. Pinned Tatanka by putting one finger on him. That's how he beat Tatanka, pinned Tatanka when he beat him. You mean the utterly woeful wrestler with a crap character who turned out to be an insane racist and yes. an alcoholic? Mm-hmm. You and Eagle elected to finish Parliament, apparently. Yes. A right wing politician, very right wing. So, not I many have it. All that happens in terms of elimination is point, like I said, the ring's trying to they're trying to refill the ring, but uh, with a lot of undercard and midcard fodder here. Apparently, Ludwig's gear uh, was particular the way it was to hide certain questionable tattoos he had. Oh Jesus! He had he had some, let's say, right leaning tattoos, shall we say, like, Reiki tattoos. So like so like. Earthquake eliminates Typhoon, and then comes Carlos Colon, father of Carlito and yeah. uh, Primo, uncle of Epico. Let me read you some stuff I found out about Carlos Colon. Cool. Is it good stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a, he's been wrestling for a long time. He wrestled. He had some success in the in the uh, in America in the late seventies. Then he he was got homesick, and he also thought that. You know what, the Puerto Rican residents seems suffering a big goal at this time. So yeah. he and, I can't remember the name of his partner, and they started the 80s, they founded the World Wrestling Council, which became the big promotion that a lot of wrestlers would go to in Puerto Rico. It's not the like WCW, it was WWC. Yes. And he, being the promoter and founder, he would also say at one point, he would also become the world champion at one point or another. Do you want to know how many times he became the WWC world champion, the man who helped co-found the company? Many times. 26 times. This is some classic wrestling carny bullshit right here. 26 times. I once on the Star podcast ranted about how many, how long among six reigns that Jeff Jarrett became NWA champion while booking himself in TNA. He ain't got shit on Carlos Twenties. So he's seen at that organisation then? He uh, beat Ric Flair in 1983 to win the NWA title out of show in Puerto Rico. Brackets, it is not recognised by the yeah. NWA. This is one of several reasons not recognised by the NW, NW, so that's why Flair always goes around like, I'm actually not a 16-time world champion, I'm more, I won the belt more times because the NWE doesn't recognise certain reigns, because I think Carlos was one of several times where Flair goes to fight the local hometown hero, you realise, shit, this, these guys will riot if the guy doesn't win, Yeah. so do a quick thing, but no one else outside this town will know about it, so win the belt, quickly vacate it, give it back to me. WWC had several other championships that could be won that Carlos Colon also made sure that he won at a certain point or another. These are just the ones I noted down. I eventually stopped because there were more belts 
and more title reigns, but I thought I can't knot all these down. So was he was he an an egotist an egoist then? Searching just by reading this clearly, these are bear in mind, Paul. There were more than that. These are just the ones I noted down. Jesus. So he's just so he basically he he formed a wrestling organization and made himself win everything all the time. Let, let me read these. These are again, like I said, just the ones I I wrote down. WWC North American Champion eight times, <sighs> North American Tag Champion eleven times. Puerto Rican champion, nine times. Junior champion, three times. Tag team champion, three times. Those are just the ones I know doing. Wrestling Observer went to the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame in 2014 and was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2015. Inducted by his sons, of course. Yes. Uh, he also got elimination. He eliminated Damien Demento. And, uh, of course, the, the iconic line from Brilliant a lot of fire in this youngster. Maybe maybe Gerala was talking about it in comparison to himself. <laughs> maybe it was that. I don't, I don't know exactly how old Gerala would have been at this point. Well, he'd been old, I'm sure. Six, how, late 60s old or 70s old? No, no, I don't think 70s old at this point, but he was Oh, I don't know how old he was when he died, but he was definitely... His days in the ring were definitely far behind him. Didn't... Uh, wasn't he still technically a wrestler? Round about the first WrestleMania, maybe technically I can't remember because I know he wrestled. He was he was like he was billed when he was a wrestler as some big grizzly like a yeah. That's why he was called gorilla once, didn't you? He was a heel most of the time, was he not? Yeah, that was it. He wrestled under Vince's daddy in the WWW. Mm-hmm. He was a WWF wrestler. Uh, oh, as you mentioned, Backlund gets elimination, he eliminates Fatu, and Earthquake gets elimination on IRS. I can't believe Backlund eliminated Fatu. I know. You know, I mean, and the thing is, right, full respect. Mm-hmm. Where respect where respect is due for Bob Backlund, the mm-hmm. legend of the game, you know what I mean? Yeah. I hated, particularly during this time period, the WWF's habit for having classic guys eliminate or defeat, uh-huh. you know, guys that were clearly on the up. Mm-hmm. I, th- I honestly I've always always thought let's see if we used the fucking mind sooner Rikishi Fatu could have been a lot higher up the fucking chain a lot sooner but looking at the guys in the ring uh, there's still a decent amount left because in comes the big man it's big Yokozuna who Bobby Heenan claims has been bulked up because Sushi's been fe- feeding him uh, sushi and rice non-stop for the last month to make him Harder to throw out. That wouldn't make him that size. No. I think he's still like lighter than he would be, but there are point there's a point after he does his bit with Earthquake where he's leaning on it's like, oh fuck, I'm knackered. Isn't he about sort of four hundred plus by that point? Yeah, like like even though he's not not his biggest yet, like even by WrestleMania nine, Brett has even said like they had they have the length of their match because Yoko gives the thing to go home early because like he was shattered. No. I think did he did he give a Brett, I'm fucked. Kind of. But by the way, a Samoan man would say it, probably. Yeah. Despite the fact he's maybe playing a character of a Chinese... Uh, not, uh, Japanese. Yeah. Despite the fact he's maybe playing a Japanese character, like yeah. a Samoan wrestler, and he's a also meant to be Japanese, even though he technically was born in America. Yeah. Uh, he, at one point, he blatantly shoots in the camera, as Yoko's in a, Samoa! Ah, <laughs> at one yeah, point, yeah, he yeah. in the camera. Like... <laughs> Anyway. That. Well, we did, did eventually bill him from the Polynesian Islands. Mm-hmm. But I think the main reason 
yeah. like maybe they were worried about how Yoko being out there for a long time is probably why he got such a late entry number as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, saying that, I would have loved to have seen, I, I would have loved, you know that parallel universe? Mm-hmm. I'd have loved to have seen if he'd have been the great Coquina. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, see, like, I've seen pictures of him yeah. when he was the great Coquina. Uh-huh. And he was somewhere between the size of, you know, Hedgefinger Rikishi and Rikishi Rikishi. Mm-hmm. But he looked, you know, he looked like he could go. Yeah. As a great Coquina. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have seen him if he'd have been brought in legit as a great Coquina. Yeah. Uh, so he very quickly gets two eliminations. Carlos Colon, gone. Tatanka, gone. gone. Earthquake. Get to like square up with him because yeah. John Tenta had legit sumo experience. He sadly. did, he did. And so they both face off, and the crowd are all going mental, like, oh, yes, big man going at it. Do you, re- do you reckon John Tenta had any thoughts of a giant Golga at this point? No. <laughs> <laughs> They're both doing the big, like, the, the sumo pose and everything. Yeah. John Tenta tries to do his big shaking, but Yoko's not even phased by it. Yeah. They both try it, and eventually, he basically manages to lift him almost belly to belly him. Well, he jumped into right over the top rope yeah, before that immediately was... leaning on the ropes, like, and um, even so much so that uh, one soon called it, like, that took a lot out of the big man. Yeah. <laughs> Probably that, that spot that comes up because he's going at it, and I think he eliminates maybe one or two more before the, yeah. the spot happens. And it gets to it, and the odd daily thing that, you know, most wrestlers in that situation would do, they go, yeah. let's just put the shit aside, let's okay, throw the big bastard out. And it fails. I think that bit was done mm-hmm. to give Yokozuna time to chill. Just lean Just there. lean there. Catch his breath and then he just goes, right, fuck it, smack. Just starts, go away. Go okay. away. I'm done with this now. Also, number 20, Owen Hart comes in while the face-off is happening and just casually is like, I don't want none of this and goes around the yeah, two of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the final three people, by the way, Owen Hart, number 20, who the fuck gave the Repo Man number 29? Who gave him such a high number? Oh, I know, I know. Hey, that, hey, that's smash, man. Fuck him. <laughs> and number 32, a great response. The Macho Man, Randy Savage. Coming out in all bright green. Oh, I, 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 I always wondered why they didn't just give Yoko the number 32. I thought, like, maybe they thought if they put another potential candidate in Macho Man right after him, maybe Yoko won't look too obvious because if Yoko comes at last, then it's kind of a... He's winning, isn't he? Aye, aye. You, what do you mean, like the day with most Royal Rumbles nowadays? Pretty much, yeah. You know, like, oh, look, number 30's in. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, it's the winner. Yeah. Macho Man quickly eliminates Repo, who's on it. He's having a weird TV feud with him. He'd have a match against, and he quickly defeat the next night because uh, Repo Man alleged Macho Man managed to have not keep him up with his hat payments and stole his hat. Didn't, is this the one I'm thinking of where he tosses Repo out and then... Because um, I only like I tuned out so much mm-hmm. at times during this rumble. Repo gets thrown out and then lands on his feet and goes, "Oh no, I was in a ring. Now I'm not in a ring." Ah, Owen, that's a drop kick and eliminates Jerry Sags before himself getting eliminated by by Yokozuna, who yeah. also eliminates Tito Santana. He, he throws Owen quite viciously as well. The final four are Backlund, Rick Martel, no. Yokozuna and Macho Man Randy Savage. Which is really cool. For a final four, the model Rick Martel, that's cool. Mm. Backlund does eliminate Martel and then kind of does look around and like he realises how long he's been there. Also, I do like the fact that uh, Mon- uh, he keeps asking Monston to tell him how long I've been there. Because yeah. he's wondering, he's what I think he's worried about Backlund surpassing the amount of time that Flair was in. in. Flair was in the year before. Yeah, what was Flair before forty? 
yeah. I think he was just over an hour coming up on one hour, one minute, and Backlund may have just eclipsed them, just maybe. Just got it, yeah. I think that's, that's, been, that's been beaten by now, though, Yeah, in the longest time right now in a traditional 30-man Royal Rumble, not including the 15-man Rumble, uh, is, 60, is 1 hour, 2 minutes, 12 seconds, which was Rey Mysterio winning from number 2 in 2006. Yeah, and yeah. still a record today, uh, as far as I know. So how, who was... You know, uh, Sean entered from number one. Yeah, and won it. Right, but like they, they shortened the match time, the the, the time between entrants so significantly. He was only out there for forty minutes. Right. How long was uh, Benoit in for? He was just around the hour mark. Just around the hour mark, and I think Edge went from number one and twenty twenty one. But I think the fact that the final sequence went down very quickly guys were throwing each other out yeah, yeah. and that, that he's just around the error mark as well yeah yeah Hogan done it from number one once didn't he no Hulk Hogan doesn't wrestle from number one he no, comes in no. later he doesn't come out for 20 or above because Sean Sean was one in 18 yes on his yeah. sequence of rumble the lowest, the lowest that Steve Austin came out for his rumbles was number five in 97 number five yeah. he was the, the other two he came out 24 and 27 respectively yeah, and that was 97, 98, and 19... No, in 2001. 2001. But, but Bagley, sorry, looks around, he's all like, I could actually win, there's a crowd actually behind him, and weirdly, I didn't expect this, how loud the boos are when Yoko eliminates Bagley. I know, well, you know, still, like, early New Gen era, Bagley's a legend of the game, you know. People are behind him. The crowd was so behind Macho as well, because he's teasing the idea, like, he's going to get him off his feet. Yoko then hits the super kick as well. and What a vicious super kick. Then Macho gets he's coming back. He hits the elbow, and... Now, I, well, from what I heard that they were planning on doing was, I think the point was, they were meant, they wanted to show off how good, how powerful Yoko was. The idea of, like, Macho going to pick him up, and Yoko just gets his power, throws him from the floor, just throws Macho over the top rope. Yeah. But the way they did it, William Macho just jumps on him. And I think once Sin was the one who said this of his own accord, I don't think he was meant to do this, but he just said, well, he called what he saw and basically thought he was trying to pin him. And he just did the pinfall of Don Khan, which made Macho look stupider. <laughs> and then I think the fact Yoko couldn't quite get him up. So yeah, Macho basically had to jump up, kind of land on his feet, and then fly out. Yeah, he, 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 I mean, looking at it though. Yeah. Looking at it, it doesn't look like Macho's trying to pin him, and you're like, like, what in the hell are you trying to do, man? You've been in these matches before, you know what happens. Well, clearly he doesn't know what happens, because the year before he eliminated himself, but that was just allowed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Macho clearly doesn't know the rules of the rumble. Oh, so he was allowed to jump out and yeah. beat people up, but Undertaker isn't allowed to come back in after being eliminated by somebody who was not officially part of the fucking rumble. Yeah. Right, okay. But also, I've seen a lot of people in recent times say that they thought Macho should have won instead of Yoko. I don't know where your opinions are on that one. Because these two, if you're going to talk about the favourites, it's these two, Taker, and then a bit lower down, maybe Flair and Perfect. Maybe Flair and Perfect. But I would have to say, right, if Macho had won, a match between him and Brett would have been cool. Yeah. Right, it would have been really cool. Because you know Macho Man is legendary for getting the best out of anyone in a match. Right, that's that's something that a lot of wrestlers talk about. Like he got the absolute best at the Warrior. Like some people say that Macho and Rick Rude got the best matches at Ultimate Warrior because they were so fucking good. They could work with anything. Yeah, you know. But Macho against Hart would have been great. Mm-hmm. Uh perfect against Hart would have been phenomenal. I mean, we've seen that from mm-hmm. King of the Ring. That would have been fucking. That would have been money. Yeah. Yoko against Hart was a bit shit, but you know what? It was good to see Yoko win a title eventually. 
the thing that it all leads to though, no matter who won that rumble, mm -hmm. wouldn't matter because whoever it was was still gonna end up getting fucked by Hogan. Uh-huh. And see, yeah. you talk about the legitimacy of the people that could have potentially won it, could have potentially gone to WrestleMania, nothing mattered because at that time Still all about Hogan. I think by this point in the 90s, Macho and Hogan aren't on the best of speaking terms. Yeah. But and do you do you really think if Macho had went to WrestleMania now, yeah. do, you, do you think he would have fucking even... Do you think he would even give that any heat room? Yeah, like, I like think that maybe like Vince made a decision. I think Yoko went along with it. Brett found out about it far too close to WrestleMania 9, but he clearly went like, I'm not going to be able to fight this. But if Macho was there, Macho, I think, would have had would have known what Hogan was up to. And would have basically fought tooth and nail to get that decision changed. Yeah, Macho would have won that rumble and then he would have been back to Vince's second the rumble finish, right? You better not fucking fuck me with this cunt. Yeah. You know he's a cunt, don't yeah. fucking let him pull his shit. Well, I think the force was they needed monster heels because they do have loved monster heels and they needed heels that didn't look like they were chemically enhanced and Yokozuna fit that bill for them. Well, he was he was enhanced by turkey and mayonnaise. <laughs> Yes, yes he was. Yes, he was enhanced by being a big scanner. <laughs> so, so Yoko wins, only the second man to win from the 27 position, which would be the lucky spot, was John Studd, him, Brett when he co-won it with Luger, who came in at 23, mm -hmm. and Austin in 2001. So where, when the first Rumble winner, Duggan, what was his position? Number 13 out of 20. Th 13 out of 20. So, up until this point, Flair is the only one who's won it from, like, lower than, like, yeah, a, he, from, like the, from a single-digit number. Yeah, he won it from third spot, didn't he? Yeah, then Sean would have won it from number one, then Austin. Literally, like I said before, when we did the 92 Rumble, the only spot, only, only this, the numbers that have not won from the, like, single-digit spot are four, nine, and seven, yeah. I think. Because Wharton won it from number eight in two thousand and nine. Yeah, somebody maybe someone's won it from number six. I can't Where remember. Did, when Sheamus won it in twelve, he was he was in his, in the twenties. Rollins is the only person I think has won it from number ten in twenty nineteen. Yeah. So, so there's only a few numbers that people haven't. Won it. Also, everyone goes on because the like, statistically four people have won it from twenty seven, which is the most number. But yeah, it's still like, oh, it's the luckiest number to get. Yeah, no one's won from that number since two thousand and one. Yeah, it's been. It's been no more than 20 years since I have... Literally, it's a full American legal age can drink age person. Since... Yeah, like, somebody can be born when Austin went for 27 and then grow up their whole life not seeing that number be used as lucky <laughs> and be able to like, what's everyone going on about number 27 for? How many have won it from Sean's 18? 18, I think it might, it might just be Sean. It might just be Sean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because like I say, it was 1 in 95, 18 in 96. I want to say maybe when Charlotte won the women's round, but she's either 18 or 17, mm -hmm. one of those two. Because mm -hmm. remember Nakamura won it from 14, which 14 apparently was, before his one, was considered like a cursed number. Because yeah. like a few wrestlers who died young entered their last oh, round. Actually, it is a cursed number because Nakamura won it and then nothing happened. My fucking, that's one thing, my <laughs> fingers are crossed. My fingers and my toes and my fucking, everything that can be crossed is crossed. Ears. But, <laughs> but something good will come from his something good will come from his feud. Let, let me give you some quick stats and talk about the ending of the pay because Yoko wins, they play the big trumpety music Caesar now. Yeah, they bring out Bobag. They say that oh he's, he's leading him to to Caesar Palace like he doesn't have to go right now. You've told us the date of the paper view, he doesn't have to go yeah. right now to Caesar's Palace. Leading him to Caesar's Palace. Yeah. He only might be led by that fanny. Yeah. He give they show us big stills from the pay the highlights. He's like, oh, there's some highlights from tonight's event. 
Two of the stills feature Giant Godzilla. That man is not a highlight of anything. No. And then there's some things of like Yoko getting photos taken with Fuji and Brian interrupts on the other still. But the music's still playing very loudly. You can't even hear what the fuck they're saying to each other. I think I, 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 I briefly caught out a mouth when Brett Lips saying something he'll never have this or something like that, he says. Yeah. Uh, what we talk about uh, the match? The match, official like length of the Rumble itself was 1 hour 6 minutes 35. Uh, Bob Backlund as the Iron Man was in there for 1 hour, 1 minute and 10 seconds. Nice. Yokozuna what, had 7 eliminations, which was the most, and he lasted a full 14 minutes 53. That was the amount of time Yoko's in the, the Rumble. I often think that if you're going to have someone who has the most eliminations, it should be either the person who wins it or a monster who comes close to winning it. Yeah. Which has been the case. Terry yeah. Taylor, by the way, was the person who was eliminated in the quickest time. He was in the <laughs> Rumble for a full 24 seconds. Wow. Wow, indeed. How many rumbles was uh, Yoko involved in? More Which, than two? He was in. Only, he was only in two. I think the only other rumble he can. Ninety six. Ninety six. Because like ninety four, he's defending the title. He's off. He's not on screen in uh, ninety five. He comes back at Mania eleven to help him yeah. on the title. So he's technically fifty fifty for his rumble appearances. Yeah, yeah. He he gets learned by Sean because he and Vader having a scrap and then Sean sneaks up and all mates. No, it's him and Mabel, I think. No, it's him and Vader. Oh, him and Vader. It's him and Vader because him and Vader are supposed to be on you know in Camp Cornet uh, like Jim yeah. Cornet all the time, and I think Yoko was kind of pissy that yeah that Jim Cornet was favouring Vader. Vader. Well, he's so, not he's not he's not put on as much weight as you. Vader. Yeah, but we're getting into it, and Vader gets into it in the sense like he takes his fucking mask off and uh-huh. he's like come ahead and they're having a barney and they're fighting with each other and then Sean just runs up and grabs both her ankles and goes bye mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go yeah and then of course Vader and uh, Yoko are just battling each other on the outside and loads of like, tiny wee security guys you know those little guys in the yeah. bow ties <laughs> <laughs> the wee guys in the bow ties the wee guys in the bow ties yeah. who were about as useful as a chocolate teapot uh, well we've been here for quite a long time let's Let's wrap up. Final thoughts on the Rumble match and the pay-per-view itself. Because for me, honestly, I, I said that 92 wasn't the best Rumble match. But I do I can say that I can see where people love about it. But at least, like, when we talk about the star power of it, you had so many favourites in there together. Whereas here, you had, you can count on one hand the amount of possible contenders to win it. And yeah. unfortunately, the contenders were spaced far too far apart. Yeah, it was, it was, not, it was not a good sequence of shit. I mean, the Rumble itself... Did have a couple of good and interesting spots. Yeah. And I'm not counting the interaction between The Undertaker and The Giant Gonzalez as one of those particular spots. But the flair, perfect bit. I think that was probably one of the most exciting spots in the Rumble was the whole flair, perfect altercation. And the the interesting little altercation between Perfect and The King. Yeah. You know, there's many good points. But like the actual, the pre-Rumble portion of the the pay-per-view apart from the Bam Bam match, mm-hmm. really solid, really good. You know, like, Sean and Marty put on a fucking fantastic match. Yeah. Brett and Razor put on a fucking fantasticer match. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Steiner's and Beverly's was a good match. It was, I mean, it was a reasonably decent pay-per-view for the time period. Yeah, but basically, it's just, the only one thing would have made it better is if the Rumble match was a bit better, if it was a bit better mm. paced or something like that, because, like, it's not that there weren't great, there weren't highlights in it. I just think that in between the highlights, there was far too much fodder and far too much just nothingness yeah, in th- between them. I think I'll, another thing I would have changed as well, something I prefer uh-huh. in later rumbles as well. Oh, I think I've seen it in other rumbles. Yeah, when the rumble become 
comes before the title match. Yeah. Because I always liked that. I always liked that, you know. And I, like I say, I've seen it a few times. The Rumble happens. We get the Rumble winner. Mm -hmm. And then the main event title match happens. Let's have a retention or a win. And usually if it's a retention, let a retain, the Rumble winner will come out. You know, after the fact, and the two, well, like you say, like Brett and Yoko did, they will face off, and the guy that won will be coming up and go, I'm coming for your belt. Mm. You know, that shit I like. You know, like when they get, when the guy has a bit of, you know, he'll come out and he'll be like, right, I've won the Rumble now, I'm coming for your title. Yeah. And the guy, if it's like a face champ, he'll be like, cut my head. And if it's a fucking heel champ, he'll be like, cut my head. That's the know? thing about this favorite that we should mention, also, it's a significant thing that. First, this is the first time ever. Yoko's had the thing of winning the first Rumble where the title shot at WrestleMania was a big part of it. Was a, yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah. that was up for grabs. So you can always hold that to his name as well as being one of the only people to win it from that 27, that lucky number yeah. 27. So if there were a few more credible contenders spread through this Rumble or a few more spots that were actually interesting because honestly between Taker getting eliminated and Yoko coming in, I was finding it hard to keep my attention or yeah. even add find something worth note-taking for. Yeah, I mean, all the people... You know how you were talking about having people that were in matches beforehand being in the Rumble? Mm -hmm. You could have had Sean in the Rumble. You could have had Marty in the Rumble. You could have had Razor in the Rumble. You could have had Brett in the Rumble. You could have had the Steiners. You could have had the Steiners. You could have even had the fucking Beverleys. You could have had Bam Bam. Mm -hmm. many, many of those spots could have gone to them as opposed to some of the fucking dead weight that was in that Rumble. Uh huh. That was the thing. Cause like the, the first, I mean, the year before, I mean, yeah, there were some people who were definitely not going to win it, but you still had your Sids, your Hogan's, your Flair Savages, people who you could see as WWF champion. Jake. Jake Roberts, know, people like that. Even the Texas Tornado, a yeah. former IC champ. Like, yeah, it felt like anyone could win that, but like, they, oh, the, well, now you can, winner goes on to fight Bret Hart for their WWF title, WrestleMania, and you look at all these people like, I can care on one hand who's, uh, people who's going to win this, the rest of you. You have no chance. Yeah. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. You're surely not going to win. <laughs> hey, Terry Taylor, do you think you're going to win? You're not going to win. You're not going to win. I, I fucking hope you're not going to win. You're not going to win. Maybe I'd take you. No, definitely not. You don't belong here. Why are you even here? Because I got nowhere else to go. Uh, well, we'll explain this out, you know. Oh, undercard, strong, rumble match could have been better. There is one glaring shit match on the undercard. But, you know, overall, where are you placing this rumble? What is your rating finally uh, for this rumble? A, yeah. I'll give a thumbs up. I won't give that like a fucking, yeah. you know, a firm, a firm yeah. thumbs up. I'll give it a thumbs up. It was, yeah. you know, it was good for what it was. Yeah. The undercard was strong, but unfortunately, uh, the, the the Rumble match was not one of the more exciting Rumble yeah. matches. Like if I was ranking on how excited, how many exciting moments have in the Rumble, this Rumble match would be right near the lower end of the yeah, spectrum. Yeah, like I say, had had it not been for the Sean Marty match mm -hmm. and the Razor Brett match, mm -hmm. I would have been less favourable. Uh, don't get me wrong, I like I like the Steiners match, mm -hmm. but the two singles title matches, that that's what gave it the thumbs up for me. Yeah. Yeah, you know? and also in the the IC title match, uh -huh. Sean was good in it. Marty was better. Hmm. How many times do you get to see that? Yeah, with regards to those two, yeah, Marty was better. Hmm. I mean, Sean was technical, but it was more. Yeah, like any time Marty did something in that match, I was sitting there going, "Yeah." Like the first time I saw that that rumble, I was actually a bigger Marty fan. 
<laughs> the first time I've seen that because I was like the typical kid, like, oh, that man's been bad to you. You have to beat him. Oh, and every, you. Oh, you bad bastard, you. But, you know, and every time I thought Marty was going to win when I was younger and he didn't, I was like, fuck, fuck you, Shawn Michaels. Why can't Marty win the goddamn belt? And he did win it eventually for, oh, two seconds. So I think I would give a thumbs as well, not as firm, like, not as enthusiastic about Thunder, but it's enough to enjoy about the show overall. Yeah, yeah. If any and some thoughts within the Rumble, they make it worth watching. But I just, I just hope that they could have stylized the Rumble a bit better. I mean, mm. they've got this like six or so attempts into the Royal Rumble as a an annual event. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I'd say, I'd say they'll get better. I mean, the mid nineties Rumble, especially the ninety five Rumble, like, are not the best. I don't think. Maybe not in terms of mods, but in terms of. Uh, talent that they they trod out for this. Oh yeah, but the one that wins it. Yeah, the one that wins it. Like, you talk about people who are obviously going to win it. Like, I say there are five people who are going to win this one. Hey, five was two, and they both started and ended the thing. <laughs> 96 was good, though. 96, yeah. I mean, 96 still had a couple of duds in it, but it was still a good 96, one. 96, the rumble that had Duke the Dumpster Josie as their number 30. Oh, yeah, for that stupid reason. Yeah. For the one time they actually look at the fucking screen and see that the bad guy done something bad. Mm-hmm. There you go. That has been a very long look at Was that... Was that I'm sorry to cut you off at the finish there, right? But was that particular finish of that number 30 spot part of Triple H's, you know... No. Getting into trouble. No, this was oh, early No, because 96 was when Razor and yeah. Diesel were still there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because Razor's on the undercard fighting... Uh, Gold dust. And then Diesel's in there. He's the guy that Sean last eliminates to win the Yeah, role. yeah. I, I fucking correct myself. Where? What are you like? Anyway. I know, especially considering I love that 96 Rumble 4 with, with Razor Gold Dust match. Uh, and we, we hope you enjoyed this review. It's a very in-depth review talking about... I think so, but you know... You need you need a lot of the time with those new gen era pay per views. You really need to pick it apart. Yeah, you, you really, really do. <laughs> yeah, uh, we hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoyed our analysis, especially the one and only one on one title match on pay per view for Razor to challenge the WF Championship. Yeah, you know what do you think? Where would you rank the ninety three? Are you someone who watched at the time who actually has nostalgic memories for it? Are you not a fan? Do you? Yes, I am. Do you? <laughs> are you someone out there who thinks? Are you one of the people out there that thinks that Macho Man should have won it instead of Yokozuna? Please let us know your opinions. Let us know on Twitter at SPR and let us know on Facebook.com forward slash Rambling Podcast. And make sure let maybe let us know even at Rogue underscore Opinions. I did it! Maybe let us know at Rogue underscore Opinions. That's fucking great. I know. I'll fix it. Anyway. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Let us know. Take our back hug of other uh, new generation favorite reviews that we have done. And maybe some of our other wrestling stuff like current like Impact or Past In Your House reviews and our stuff to do with Frasier and other non-wrestling related delights. Next week we're returning to the world of ecliptic escapades where we're looking at Toy Story 2 which features Kelsey Grammer as, as Stinky Pete slash Prospector. Yes, Stinky Pete the Prospector. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I'm very much looking forward to talking about that movie. I'm very much lo- looking forward to talking about the, the cut scenes at the end of it. <laughs> you... You, uh, you're both twins. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I could get you a part in Toy Story 3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and I found some interesting background information about the movie while I was preparing for this show and I can't wait to talk about that as well I look forward to it I look forward to it very much Scott and we hope you look forward to that and we hope you enjoy this review so thank you for listening to our review of Royal Rumble 90 thank you very very much and until next time we'll bid you adieu adieu <laughs>